Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Here we are, folks. This is DC Comics News Podcast, episode number 25. That's silver for those of you paying attention. And our good friend Steve L. Ray. Steve, please say hello. Greetings, citizens. And we are joined also by Kelly Gaines. Kelly, could you say hi, of course? Hello. And together, I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and we will be tackling all of the topics that are part of today's episode episode number 25 silver if you're thinking about sending us gifts just think silver all right <laughs> let's go ahead and get started with some movie news while i keep thinking about the silver gifts you can send me steve and kelly i'm gonna kick things off with something that falls a little bit on the grittier side of the dc universe less on the silver more on the darker tones of the dark night and the announcement that robert pattinson and nicholas holt are in the negotiations to play batman and yet there seems to be this sense that pattinson might actually be in the lead uh regarding this discussion steve can you kick us off with your thoughts regarding this story and your response to this possible batman selection for the upcoming matt reeves movie well first of all i'd like to address the horrible horrible things that i've been reading online and the negative um, aspersions and name calling and, and nonsense uh, about this rumored still possible casting it's not been made official by warner robert pattinson has said nothing neither has mr holt and in all honesty do fans not learn i mean Back in 89, people said, Keaton, he's too short. He's a comedy actor. He's Mr. Mum. What the hell are you thinking? Um, Heath Ledger, same thing. He's a pretty boy. How can he be the Joker? He's the cowboy off the mountain. Oh, my God. Him and Batman are going to get it on. What are you thinking? I mean, please. And then Ben Affleck. And he killed it in Batman vs. Superman, in my opinion. I know that he doesn't have a, a universal fan falling, but you must admit that when he put on that bat suit, that fight scene in the warehouse was 100% vintage, ripped off the comic page Batman. Guys, none of these actors has filmed a single scene yet, and you're slamming him, putting him down, and you're, you're, they're basing it purely on the Twilight movies, and while I must admit I hated them, um, he's made about a dozen other movies since, and the guy is a really, really good actor. Um, please internet leave your outrage locked up and when you get a multi-million pound or dollar budget and you're able to make a film 
and your casting director then make your choices until then have faith in these filmmakers because rarely have they let us down um heath ledger is the joker as anyone had anything bad to say about him michael keaton's batman still arguably regarded as the best please fans watch the film then make your minds up and that's all i have to say about that kelly good evening how are you <laughs> i'm doing well how are you um a little bit peeved but i, I I'll, I'll leave that aside <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying completely, though. And honestly, it, if Robert Pattinson's known for anything, he's a really good brooder. I mean, he's like, that wasn't that the I, issue that people had with Twilight, that he was too broody and, like, tortured? That's, I mean, that that is Batman. That sounds like exactly what Matt Reeves was trying to do. So if it is him and, you know, like you were saying, it's not actually confirmed which i'm still confused about because i was seeing a bunch of posts saying it's confirmed and now there's you know it might be nicholas holt but i i think he's going to be fantastic if it is him yeah absolutely well i appreciate the the fact that you both brought up you know a couple of things that i needed to keep in mind as well just when it comes to my response one i never actually saw anything except clips from the twilight movies so my exposure is even more limited when it comes to robert pattinson and i can't think of any projects that he did afterwards in which i remember um, recognizing his name or seeing anything regarding those projects not that they were bad projects they just weren't on my radar for whatever reason but the first thing that really came to mind for me and I, i'm curious to see what others might think and i might be dating myself a little bit here but when I found out that Hugh Jackman was going to be cast as Wolverine in the first X-Men movie, the only snapshot I had of him was as a soap opera actor. And it was really hard for me at that time to make the connection for how can this soap opera actor go on to become one of the most violent and dangerous characters to ever exist in comics. And I've loved every time I've ever seen Hugh Jackman play wolverine i thought it was he's amazing the best thing in all the films he's the yeah best. he he's such a signature character that he's come back in almost every iteration of the x-men in some way there's a reference to him because of what he means for either the timeline or everything else to do with the uh the x-men universe so for me the first thing that i i wonder is well i don't really know anything about this guy so based on that and based on what i haven't seen him in i i feel like i have to reserve any judgment simply because of what i've also been able to see as steve you pointed out so well the examples made by uh, great actors like heath ledger who really invested themselves into the character and just became this powerful performance i i too really loved what uh, ben affleck was able to do as batman i i struggled sometimes with some of his performance as uh, bruce wayne but in action as batman you know, some of the best fight scenes I'd seen in a long time, some of the most original and yet also felt like classic Batman uh, experiences. And Michael Keaton, to this day, uh, he's probably one of the best Bruce Waynes I've ever seen. And uh, his Batman is bar none. So, you know, I think it's easy to cast dispersions when you're just taking something at face value or looking at someone's past. But I'm always impressed by the greatest actors who show you one side of them and then turn around later and uh, and show you something completely different. I'm also reminded, have any of you guys heard of that? Uh, it was kind of a popular, like, biker movie, uh, or movie, 
TV show called Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. I've heard a lot about it, but I haven't seen it, sadly. I want to because I've heard really great things. Well, the interesting thing about the gentleman who plays the lead actor is that before that role, his uh, main sort of claim to fame had been in sort of a groundbreaking, I want to say it was British, might have been European series about uh, young gay men just sort of like dealing in a, uh, a modern sort of urban setting. And his character was very young, very effeminate. Um, I think one of the opening scenes is like a very sort of awkward and intimate scene between him and an older man. And yet afterwards, this guy went on to become the toughest, coolest bike leader guy ever seen. And if that's not a, you know, example of the range that's possible within characters by great actors, I think the, the sky's the limit whenever you look at when someone says, hey, this is just what I did to get myself in the door, score a best opportunity. Let me show you what I can do with my next best opportunity. And I think that's sort of the thing I'm looking forward to with Robert Pattinson. If that ends up being, you know, the, the choice made or if it's Nicholas Holt. But either way, what I've seen of these guys is just the beginning. And the opportunity to see their full range as actors is something I'm really excited by. Um, but I wanted to just sort of follow around on one thing really quick. And that was what Kelly mentioned, which was the idea that there's a lot of confusion still about this story. You know, essentially what we're looking at is a story from Variety saying that Pattinson will indeed be, but also an article from Deadline. And we've got these two publications that are both sort of claiming that they've got the story. And we're both, you know, or all of us who are fans watching and listening are left going. So which one is it going to end up being eventually? And and who is it that we'll end up with? Did that did that play anything in uh, in what you guys were thinking about? Like, have we actually settled? Does it feel like things have actually settled on Robert Pattinson? Or is there still a conversation being had between whether or not Pattinson or Holt is actually going to be the final choice? Well, at the end of the day, until it comes directly from Warner Brothers or from Robert Pattinson or Nicholas Holt themselves, it's a rumor. It's not set in stone. So while Variety tends to be an extremely reliable source, um, it hasn't come from the people making the film. So I'm not against either casting. I, I think both men will do a great job. Um, they need to bulk up slightly. Uh, but look what uh, Christian Bale did. He's had 25 different body types in 25 different films. So <laughs> if they're dedicated to their art, then he can more than do it. I'm, I'm more than happy with that. And having, again, I do follow British actors a lot and... Pattinson is a very good actor. He himself hates the Twilight movies. He played it as he was asked to play it. But like Kelly said, he can brood. He can be dark. He can be mysterious. He can be a gentleman. He can be a rogue. And he's proven that in the dozen other films he's made since then. I mean, um, have you guys seen the Harry Potter movies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Quite he a few. Cedric, Quite a few. He's Cedric Diggory. He's the, the, the guy who helps Harry... Uh, the, the hero who Voldemort actually kills in the graveyard, the, the brave young man in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, uh, which is the first thing I saw him in. And then I thought, this, this guy's a, a talented young man. And yes, he did the t Twilight atrocities, but, you know, he can be forgiven for, get, for that because I'm sure the paycheck was nice. So there you go. That, that, that's my fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
And I, I can't argue with anybody who's making a paycheck or finding the opportunity to be cast in any professional role. If your desire is to be an actor and you get a chance to be in a franchise or a trilogy, I think it was a trilogy, right? I'm not 100%. I feel like it was three movies. But if you trilogy get a chance to, to... Trilogy in four parts. They broke up the last one into two or something like that? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, they... You know, that surprised me when they did that with other projects like The Hobbit and others where I just sort of went, really? All right. I didn't expect that. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, maybe you could have done it differently, but all right. So, okay. yeah, I mean, if you have an opportunity to do. Sorry, Kelly, I, I totally missed. What was that? I said they broke up the shortest book. <laughs> all of the other ones <laughs> from Lord of the Rings, except The Hobbit. Now, wasn't that the shortest one? Yeah, The Hobbit's one fairly standard sized novel and they made it three films i don't know why <laughs> it's true it was very interesting that i mean maybe there's there was a lot of complaints made you know from the the beginning with lord of the rings of how much that they weren't able to include so maybe they felt with hobbit they were going to go okay well you guys want it we're going to give you the whole kit and caboodle <laughs> um and and it, they clearly did their best to mine everything you know out of out of that story so uh, to go back to the Robert Pattinson part, yeah, it, four movies. Uh, I mean, those are four paychecks and fairly substantial. And I think afterwards, if you get the chance to have your pick of roles and eventually that sets you up for Batman, hey, if you're playing the long game, nicely done because you set yourself up perfectly. And uh, when it comes to the project that you have the opportunity to maybe star in, you know, that this isn't the only news that's coming out about Batman and Matt Reeves. We're getting closer to potentially, according to the story that comes up next, uh, solidifying the possibility that Penguin will still be a villain in the film. But, I mean, really, from this story, it's it's only sort of implied as well as the reference to Catwoman. Now, we were lucky enough to experience both of these characters in Batman Returns. I thought it was really, I mean, iconic performances and examples of those characters and with that I, I am curious about how this article brings up the challenge of do you want to go back to that period in history and try and revisit or to tell it in a new way or is it an opportunity to cast it a little wider and see who else can maybe be shown on screen and add to the uh, cinematic legend of Batman. Steve, I'm going to turn to you real quick you know any, any thoughts on the possibility or the you know, the announcement that we're closer to it being Penguin and what that means and, and any other thoughts about the, the inference or implication of Catwoman or, you know, someone else being part of this casting. Well, the, the original stories were saying that there was going to be quite a few uh, villains in the film. And what I worried about is when you have one or two, it can work really, really well. Like you said, the, the, the classic examples, Batman Returns, where both Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer were astounding, scene-stealing, brilliant portrayals of both the characters. But then you get the other extreme where you go to Batman and Robin, and, um, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like overkill. Too many villains. I mean, they, they threw Woodrow in there, for, for Christ's sake, and, and, and Poison Ivy, and Mr. Freeze, and what... Bane, really? That was not Bane. That was pain in the, you know where. Um, <laughs> oh, please, God. So if they do it right, sure, go for it. But not 
just include villains for villains sake i love matt reeves whole thing of a younger batman learning the ropes detective story that's what i want to see if these are characters he learns and builds his reputation with on the way up great stuff that that could be astounding or like you said a few weeks back seth the, the gauntlet that he's, he's running through the villains to get to the main one at the end of the film and he's got to use his detective skills wits and and training to to get through that particular test that would be amazing um we've seen a hundred jokers over the years we've only we haven't seen penguin uh, on the big screen since devito and robin Moore taylor did an amazing job in gotham but that was for the tv fans so a new catwoman a new penguin on the big screen i'm all for it as long as they do it right kelly what about you what do you think I mean, I am still extremely skeptical about this movie, also partly because, again, this is not really any sort of confirmation. I feel like we're not any closer to knowing what's going on with the movie, you know, for sure, than we were two months ago. Um, so I'm, I mean, I would love any sort of confirmation of any characters that are actually going to be in the movie besides Batman himself. But, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I'm skeptical about it being the Penguin and Catwoman again. I feel like we've seen a lot of Catwoman women, Catwomans, but we've seen a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well so. said. You it. <laughs> Kelly and I were saying a couple of weeks back, weren't we, Kelly, that all we seem to be getting news-wise from this film isn't news. It's totally rumor and speculation no, it's no real in stone i would love to see one title that is just this is what we're doing and then from there i feel like i'd be a little more comfortable speculating but you know we could have a whole theory about this and then tomorrow it'll be like nope it's uh you know the joker again or it's just anyone else um but i mean i hope I that do them. <laughs> there's or um <laughs> I, I can't even, I can't think of one that hasn't been on screen that, I mean, it depends. It depends on who they cast as Batman. It depends on how gritty or how detective-y, is that a word? I'm using a lot of words that aren't words today. But we I, are yeah. getting, <laughs> getting the birds of prey and the fabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. So this Batman film will probably end up being calling being called that Batman film that everyone's been waiting for for about five years and then it's finally finished and yes we have cast somebody but we're not going to tell you until the titles roll right (laughs) (laughs) Steve that's probably exactly the way it's going to happen and if it does and DC Comics if you're listening Steve gets royalties I don't care how you break them down or what you want to do about it and because Kelly and I are here and we're willing to support him and also you know not make too much fuss. You, you just throw us some pennies and, and it'll be okay. All the silver-related okay. gifts. If there's a cosmic silver surfboard lying around that can take me across the galaxy at, um, beyond the speed of light, I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I'd even take really a silver version of Batman's giant penny. You know what I mean? Give me the silver yes. version and I'll be fine with I that. I'll take you know. actual penny. So... <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Now that's going to make me think about what we missed with the bronze one. When when's bronze? What was that? We and what what that. is that penny worth? Oh, sorry, I can't. <laughs> how old it is? How I mean, is it still? Can they make a silver penny? Don't pennies <laughs> copper? 
Ask Alfie, Dave. he'll know what the penny's worth. Yes, I'm going to warn you, my friend, you're punning. You're punning in most, most impressive ways. We're all paying attention. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to follow up with, uh, with what Kelly was just mentioning, which is the hardest part about this all is the speculation. And really, how can you really respond to a lot of these stories except going, so basically you're telling us that you don't have anything more to tell us than what you did the last time around. And that's basically a rehashing of what you were telling us from two months ago. And uh-huh. that just feels like filler. And if you're going to do that kind of speculating, I'd rather hear a story about, you know, who are your guys' top five picks for who the villain should be. And the, <laughs> that yeah, sounds like right. a more compelling, you know, and that actually leads me to, hey, if you could see one villain, if you could just pick a villain and say DC Comics, my name is Steve, my name is Kelly, this is the Batman villain I think I would love to see or I think you need yeah. to put on the screen. Steve, could you, could you just pick one that, you know, like, hey, this is the one you haven't seen and this is the one you need. This is the one that really is the uh, the Batman villain that you've been missing so far. And the one that when you put it on there, everyone's going to say, genius, why wasn't he there all the time? Or she there right from the beginning? Batman Begins did Scarecrow and Russell Gould so well. So we've seen those. We've had a great Bane in Tom Hardy, uh, a stunning Joker in Heath Ledger. Penguin and Catwoman were done great back in the 90s. I, I do want to see a, a new Batman. And Catwoman, to me, is... I, I adore her. I, I adore the portrayal. Anne Hathaway did a great job. Um... God, who hasn't? Who haven't we seen of the big, big Batman villains? Um, or is there one that you would dream to just see? Like, if I could have a dream come true, it would be this Batman villain on screen in all of all of their glory. Tell you what, yes, there is one. Go for it. We have to have a live-action, terrifying, melting, gooey can be anyone they can think of. Clayface. Beautiful. I want to see that. Nice. That's the one for me. Thank you, sir. Kelly, what about you? Do you if there's a one one villain, I mean, because now, uh, Steve, you really said it in my mind, everything that I've seen of Clayface, especially in the most recent runs, and all the potential behind a character like that who can be anybody, that's a, that's a great one I'm going to be stewing on for a while. Kelly, how about you? A villain for Batman that you're like, you know what? You put this villain on the screen and you'll cement Batman mythos on, you know, as far as cinema is concerned. I would really love to see the doll maker. I, he terrifies me. (laughs) He's so scary. Any, any of the incarnations of him. And they just like, they just get more and more twisted every time he's sort of revamped. So I would love to see the doll maker in something. He's like horror movie scary. Nice. Great selection. Great selection. Um, I was I was leaning towards one and I'll 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 make him my uh, my honorable mention. But I think what I really need to see personally is I need to see the Riddler and I need to see the Riddler from the War of Jokes and Riddles. The the storyline that we had where he's so smart that it's actually almost dangerous how like when he wears it as sort of like this bravado that i've really enjoyed uh seeing the the riddler present in the more recent versions instead of being sort of this smaller character who felt kind of impish or leprechaun like this one you know the the more recent versions of the riddler has felt 
so dangerous and so intelligent that it's it's almost like I would I would kill you if I wasn't just worried about how bored I'd be if you were my favorite plaything and I killed you. And he feels so dangerous in that way because that's really the only thing keeping him is just a sense of, oh, but this amuses me. Why would I want to stop something that amuses me? Why? Toying with its prey. I love that. And with a menacing sort of grin the entire time because he knows the punchline. And there's something nefarious about someone who knows what the joke is going to be. And they're just waiting for you to, to get to that punchline, knowing you have no idea what's coming. That's a, that's a pretty terrifying uh, character for me. <laughs> yeah. um, but as, as much as we could roll through who we would love to and struggle with these stories about who might be, a recent development that's sort of broken through the headlines is a reversal of a story we were talking about not too long ago. And that was the idea that Michael Rooker would once again be in a James Gunn film. And that would be an appearance as a character in the upcoming Suicide Squad reboot sequel. We're not quite sure what it is. But now a new story that's come out suggests that, no, that's actually not true, that the actor went to Instagram and immediately made a statement that, that clarifies, no, I'm not going to be involved. And I was just curious how that changes uh, what you've been thinking about Suicide Squad, James Gunn, who Rooker could have been, who now, you know, can fill his boots in whatever role you might have seen him in. Steve, what does it mean when somebody we think is going to be there isn't going to be there? It's sad because he is brilliant. I love uh, Michael Rooker from everything I've seen him in, particularly um, the two Guardians of the Galaxies and his fantastic run in Walking Dead. He's just one of the best character actors. He's he's, he's awesome. So I'm, I'm saddened by that. I mean, is he saying he's not playing King Shark or is he saying he's not actually going to be in the film at all? Because I think he still might be. And that's what I want to carry with me. So I, I'm, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that he'll be. Um, I wouldn't have liked him as King Shark anyway because you know it would just be his voice and a CGI plastic made up piece of exhalation so um whatever this suicide squad sea boot or requel is actually about i'm still hoping we see mr rooker in it fingers crossed and kelly what did you uh what did you think about this announcement and the uh you know the the reactions sort of that okay we were talking about who he was going to play and now we're trying to figure out what this means for the movie and maybe just sort of dwell on the could have might have been I mean, this this is another one where I think in the same day I heard that he was going to be in it and also that they were, or that he was in talks for it, but then I also saw that they were officially finished casting and then there was another cast rumor and now he's not in it. So this is another one where it's like, I, I would have loved to see him in it and I hope that if he does stay, um, you know, that he'd, he'd play a character where he really gets to utilize kind of his talent and his vibe with the rest of the cast because they all seem so enthusiastic about the movie. But, you know, again, it's it, it confuses the heck out of me when you see, um, you know, the director saying, I'm officially, I'm done casting, it's set, we're ready to go. And then at the same time you see, and he's in talks and they're in talks. And then, oh, wait, maybe they're not. It's like, it's, I, I just want a concrete, like, who is in it? And if, and if we're not going to know until it comes out, then we're not going to know. And I'm fine with that, too. 
But I feel like the speculation almost makes people irritated with the movie before we're even to, like, seeing a trailer for it. And if you look at his denial, though, it's literally only just two words. It's, duh, not. Um, and he could just be saying, duh, not to, oh, no, I'm not King Shark. That doesn't sure. say to me that he's not in the film. So the casting may well have been done, and he may well be in the cast, but just not as that character. That That's the way I'm choosing to very positively <laughs> read that piece of news. <laughs> you know what? Steve, I love that you bring that in because as soon as you mentioned that right from the, the beginning of your response, it's been in my mind. It's that little drop of ink that muddies the water, right? It's that one little bit of doubt where you go, well, wait exactly. a <laughs> All he said was D-A dot, 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 dot. I can't count them all. And then <laughs> not with three exclamation points. Four, three explanation. So that's that's really all we have to go on. And that doesn't say I'm not King Shark. It doesn't say anything about I'm not in Suicide Squad. It doesn't say, oh, there's another character I didn't tell you about. It doesn't even tell you that maybe those were the initials of the character that he had been in talks to play in Suicide Squad, and now he won't. And <laughs> it really doesn't leave exactly. you with a lot of anything. <laughs> Yeah, it's there's, clear there's as mud, isn't it, guys? It's clear it as is. mud. <laughs> as I said, inky water, lots of just, you know, silt and speculation. It's like you got, you know, that little pond surface where it's just up to your ankles, but it's nice and scummy. All you got to do is move your feet in one direction or the other. It's just a big, cloudy, murky mess. And uh, it, I guess part of that mess is the uh, the announcement that follows that now Benicio Del Toro is rumored to maybe be showing up in Suicide Squad. And if the water wasn't muddy and murky and confusing before, now it's like, okay, well, you know, here's another guy who's been featured in movies with James Gunn and who could be in Suicide Squad. And we don't know who he could be playing or even if the talks are real. So, you know, in regards to this other announcement that just feels as un you know, confirmed and as speculatory as the announcement and reversal for Rooker. Steve, does this mean anything to you right now with the Benicio Del Toro announcement? Or does it just feel like another one of those, can I get something concrete and you'll get an answer from me? It's like Kelly said that all this news is so not news. It's it's more fake news than Donald Trump's hair is real. I mean, <laughs> it's just Ridiculous. I mean, I'm, I'm actually starting to get annoyed by the amount of non-news that's coming about of all these films. And I just want to see them. And like I said, Muddy Waters is becoming quicksand and is slowly turning into concrete when there's nothing concrete. Um, oh. Wake me up when we have official casting news, please. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end. And that's the end of my rant. Kelly, please save us from this rumor and speculation. I, I feel exactly the same. I mean, I am, and with with James Gunn especially, everyone's so excited about him. It looks like everyone that he has worked with is willing to jump into whatever project, whatever. Fine, good. And His mum's doing the catering, I've heard. Wait, she's what? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm being silly. I think he's got I'm the best chocolate chip yeah. cookies. <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. Uh, uh, and I think it was exactly. Like, it's, yeah, Mama Gun's doing the catering, and um, <laughs> little, little 
cousin Wilbur is actually the the dolly grip, and um, <laughs> that's oh god. Oh, God. I heard there's I mean, an uncle in charge of sound effects. <laughs> yes. Look, if and that's umbrellas. fine, but like, let's just. How about they tell us who's in it when they're in it? I would love to just have it that way at this point, because there's so many characters in Suicide Squad that, you know, it's not. With Batman, you know, the Batman casting, that is pretty pivotal and annoying that it keeps being, oh, it's him, it's him, it's him, and whatever, but. With Suicide Squad, it's so many characters. We're not even sure what characters are going to be in it. So if they can at least give like give us a list of characters or give us a list of actors, one or the other, but all the, the media... They can't even decide whether it's a sequel or a reboot. I mean, <laughs> come on, guys, please save us. <laughs> give, me, give me concrete facts and I will be happy. That's it. Give us concrete facts, or I'll give you concrete boots, filmmakers. You have heard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And here's the other thing, guys. We're fans and supporters, okay? Can you imagine what somebody who isn't insane right now in their frustration and confusion, if we're frustrated and confused? You know what I mean? Anyone who's a detractor is just going to be, you know, sort of just diving into all this. Well, what does any of it mean? Does any of it mean anything and you know i felt kind of bad early on when we first started out with the whole rooker story because kelly you brought up ah it's just frustrating can i just get some straight answers and it's like well no actually kelly no we're going to move into the next story in which there are no (laughs) concrete answers there's more speculation and now that i've got you and steve completely riled up let's talk about that and that just doesn't feel like the yeah this story and then if you look through the rest of it it's like okay we still aren't concrete about John Cena. It sounds like he's Peacemaker, but no one's made an announcement. We've got all these other because maybe could be him, returning. So they don't know who he wants to play. <laughs> John Cena has an excuse. <laughs> he's playing the invisible man. They can't see him. <laughs> could you imagine? Now that's just awesome. <laughs> that's a movie I want to see. Yeah, it actually it flashes me to that great sort of thing have either of you seen the deadpool sequel that they did uh back this past year where they had a uh, a popular they've done two deadpool movies last year didn't they well they did they the holiday one that was like the after, yeah yeah the kind of family version but the original sequel seen. uh they they have a guest appearance by a very well-known a-list actor and his character is an invisible man. And when they finally reveal who it is, it's quite comical in that, you know, you think to yourself, wow, you know, in any other project, this would be a face you would want to display as much as possible. And yet instead, you sort of bury the identity behind the existence of the invisible person who you never actually see until one significant scene. Um, and if they did that with Cena, I, I, I wouldn't complain. That would actually yeah. be kind of fun. It would give you that sort of twist that you've experienced if you already enjoyed Root or uh, Bradley Cooper as a talking, you know, raccoon or as Thor calls him a rabbit. But, you know, (laughs) this idea that, uh, you know, sure, we've got all these maybes, but just as possible, John Cena could be the invisible man. And that's just how we see or don't see him in the movie. I kind of walked into that last little ending a bit confusingly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because you won't actually see him in the movie, but you Hulk will. Hogan. <laughs> what was that? I don't know why everything in me is saying Hulk Hogan. I just, at this point, if we're doing this craziness, then let's put Hulk Hogan somewhere. I haven't seen him in like <laughs> years. 
<laughs> you know, I think Hulkamania could probably run wild. You saw WrestleMania briefly. <laughs> really? Oh, oh, thank you. Like, thank, thank you. What are you going to do when those 24, 26-inch guns come running wild all over the Suicide Squad, man? Yeah, I can, I, I can see it. Jufu, brother. Um, so, you know, the, the thing about these speculations is that I think when you've gone through enough of them, when you do actually find yourself coming across a a concrete, uh, fact-based or even visually representative piece of news or information, after all this speculation, it can feel kind of rewarding. And I know for that any fan, including myself, who's excited about the animated projects that are on Slate for uh, DC, that the Batman Hush trailer was uh, a very wonderful prize to experience, to witness, and its release was something that I really enjoyed and felt so wonderful after all of this sort of smoke (laughs) and mirrors murky mystery. And, And given that we actually have something concrete to talk about, Steve, I want to get your response to the uh, Batman Hush trailer. What did you think? Uh, how does it feel to have stuff to actually talk about that we know will be in this movie? Because the trailer just showed it to us, so we can talk about it with confidence. This makes me happy. <laughs> I love Hush. I love that story so much. And the trailer with dialogue lifted straight out of the comic. Batman shooting across the skyline, his rope being cut. And I know what happens next because I've read that book so many times. Man, I'm almost drooling. Keep my phone away from me. I'm going to electrocute myself because I want to see this film so much. Today I watched Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I was jumping up and down and running around the around my living room like a child because I was home alone by myself today. My son's out <laughs> with his girlfriend. My wife was out with the girls. So I watched Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that still made me happy. So hush. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm going to dance. I'm going to go sing. I'm going to put myself on mute. And I'm going to pick up a cat and waltz around the front room. Kelly, please do that while I go and act like a loon. Okay, okay but Steve, no, 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 you can't mute it. You must dance around with your mic on with the cat so we can all hear you while Kelly's giving her answer. No offense, <laughs> Kelly. We just need that sort of background. Kelly's going to dance just now. Seth <laughs> She's not having it. She's saying, I'm trying to sleep, you silly man. Um, sorry, Kelly. Sorry. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it looks gorgeous and... I, I'm such a fan of the animated movies that DC does. I love that they put so much energy and effort into, you know, into putting these out. Because when I was a kid, that is what, that's what kind of drew me into comics. All of the, you know, the Batman the Animated Series, the Mask of the Phantasm movie, all of that. So I'm really excited about it. The only thing is for half a second, I had this moment of anxiety about it being... Like, there being an almost another sort of killing joke vibe to it. with Because Catwood and Poison Ivy are in it, I just hope that they're... they. I hope they don't Barbara Gordon them. I hope it actually, you know, follows the book. It doesn't get 
crazy. Because there was a moment where I was like, ooh, that felt that felt a little killing jokey. Uh, and I mean the movie, not the book, which I think <laughs> you nervous for a second there. We, we've talked about this in length, haven't we, Kelly? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I can only echo the excitement that you're both raising about this movie, um, about what it means to have so many great moments lifted directly from the page and how there's this just immense trust that goes into, you know, all of the animated projects that we've seen to date and the way I feel like they just haven't let us down in in so many opportunities where you're like, wow, that could have gone wrong so many different ways. And instead, you know, you're rewarded with this this sort of recognition that if we're going to do an animated project, we're going to make it as true to the source material as possible. Um, Steve, to echo you, um, man, that, that scene where you see Batman soaring across the sky and you see his line cut. It's like they knew anyone who's read this storyline holds their breath because that next scene is is everything that that sort of like pulls at the the heartstrings and the gut strings uh, for that storyline and the way it's the catalyst, you, isn't it? yes and the way that you sort of set that up not only that but it's been one of those moments where when it's referenced again who can cut Batman's line and he'll even tell you very few people you know it's something where you have to know what you're doing. If you want to if you want to cut that line, it's designed very specifically It's designed to be resistant to a lot of things. Only someone who understands exactly what it's made of has the ability to do that. And that sort of catalyst of who can cut Batman's bat line. I mean, what? Who does that? And then everything from there is just leading you on this chase, this mystery. And I really love the way that they uh, they moved you through the sense of that mystery. Um, Kelly, I really appreciate the, that you guys referenced back to the concerns that, you know, have been part of a great discussion regarding Killing Joke and how, you know, a lot of ways that that can be sort of just a, a warning reminder that even when we know how great it can be and, and who's working on it, that there can be moments that when they strike the wrong note can really leave a, a taste in the mouth, you know, just like a, oh, Okay, so, you know, that's how we're doing it this time around, huh? Okay. 30 wasted uh, minutes of a movie. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> 30 wasted minutes of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and there's a, there's a challenge, but so much of what I saw in this uh, preview felt smart. It felt like it was mm-hmm. just full of all the complex things that I'm looking for and the challenge behind the storylines and just the, the menace of the characters. I mean, there's that moment with Superman just hovering. You know, just floating there. And you're like, oh, hi, Supes. <laughs> you, look a little, you look a little intense there. You know, you, you do know that when you look intense, stuff comes out of your eyes and it's, it's kind of brutal. Oh, you know, and, and <laughs> um, yeah, I just really felt that, you know, it, it really it really did everything that I was looking for in a trailer. And it really just made me feel like, okay, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing all the things that have wet my appetite and you did everything I wanted when you set me up at the end with cutting his line and telling me, go ahead, let your, let your imagination go with the starter gun right there. Let that be the, the bang and let your imagination run. Because by the time you actually sit down and enjoy it, 
it's going to be everything you hoped and expected, not not only just what you imagined. Um, and that's a promise that, you know, a trailer doesn't always offer to you, but I really felt like that was something that I was left with with Hush. You know, it, it kind of skirted those, uh, uh, no, no, we're going to stay true. And after that, you know, I, I felt like my, uh, my trust and faith were kind of rewarded. But uh, the only other thing that came along with this was another announcement that, you know, the release date is going to be August 13th. Can I anticipate that either of you will be camping out August 10th or one of those days earlier to uh, make sure you've got it? Or is there another way you're guaranteeing that you'll be one of the first to have this in your hands? Camping out is right. Like you said, Superman's gaze was intense. I'm going to be sleeping in the tent waiting for this film. I'm trying to see it that much. Um, Please, I want Hush right now. Camping. Yes. I mean, I was going to find it online, but I, if we're if we're going that hard for this, then I, I might have to camp too. I'm going to well, be more well, camp than Adam West. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> now that that my friend is is possibly falling into the glamour camping glamping category. I mean, you know, <laughs> when you're bringing Mr. West in there, old old Grandpa Papa Bear. Um, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a good reference point. Um, I probably will go ahead and go with the, the digital route myself. Um, if, if I try and do any camping, I got to bring my dogs along with me and they're just not great in lines. They beg (laughs) and they whine and they need a lot of food and they need to be walked, which means I have to leave the line and it just gets weird about that. Will you save my space or so? Yeah, I'll, I'll just be waiting until it's available to download. In the meantime, should anyone, Steve, get it first because they camped out, I'll understand if there's something that you, you know, need to tell me that, you know, is going to be well, beautiful to look forward to. First. Say again? The digital, doesn't the digital always come out before the physical copy? I think the, the digital is out July 20th, I think. Yeah. Wow. So, so you'll be able to get the digital. Okay, that's right. Here it is with the download mm-hmm. for July 20th. And then the physical... The same with- same with Batman huh. and Turtles. It's out digitally already, which is how I managed to see it today and and enjoy every stupid second of it. It was so good. So, yes, Can't I'm going to be. <laughs> wow. I didn't even consider that for some reason in my brain. I think it's part of my old fashioned ways. I'm like, yeah, they'll go ahead and give you, the, you know, the physical copy that you can download it later. No, apparently download is. Thank you, guys. I really I appreciate That's because that. Because in our age, Seth, digital meant a watch. And for these <laughs> young whippersnappers, digital means a whole different thing. It means something that you can pull from the sky, from a cloud, and put it on your television set. It's marvelous. You're right, Steve. You know, it, it's true. In fact, I can honestly admit that whenever I hear digital, the first thing I think of is Casio. Silver digital there you Casio go. watch. I don't and, even know uh, what the I'm serious. I I don't know what that is. Ladies and gentlemen, with that little bit of information, and we're just I'm gonna going take to go and moment. shoot myself. <laughs> don't do that. Kelly, it's going to be okay. He won't, Steve. Don't do that. We're going to have a conversation with Kelly because right now we've got to take a quick break for our ad. 
And we're just going to give that brief synopsis for Kelly about what a Casio is and why that means digital <laughs> to Steve and I and how that actually makes us <clears throat> older. I'm going to go tweeze some Where's grades. Where's my super soaker? This- I'm going to shoot myself. Where's my water pistol? <laughs> and we're going to take that quick break while the boss man, the editor-in-chief, the man who makes us sound so good, runs through that ad for us while we take this quick break. Come back. We promise there's more. Please come back. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, editor-in-chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And hopefully if you're still hearing my voice, that means you stuck around through the ad and you're ready to join us now for the next part of the DC Comics News Silver Edition podcast. That's episode number 25. I'm here with Mr. Steve Ray. I'm here with Kelly Gaines. We are moving on into the TV and streaming news. And the first thing to go ahead and take things away, now that we've addressed the whole issue of Castillo and digital, right, (laughs) is the announcement that Doom Patrol, the pilot, is streaming free on DC Universe and platforms everywhere. Um, Steve, I know we've had a couple of great conversations about Dune Patrol. That's why I love having you start us off with this announcement. What's your reaction to the uh, the streaming pilot announcement coming from DC Universe? Yes! <laughs> That's nice. my thought on that one. Yes! <laughs> this show, this, this amazing, incredible show. Um, I recently had a wonderful tweet directly from DC Universe, who I noticed uh, three or four weeks back had started to um, like and retweet my reviews for the show, which I um, write for my own website. And I had a tweet from them saying that they wanted to use my quote or one of my quotes for their publicity for the um, online release of the show and for possibly the blu-ray and, and, and dvd releases so i automatically said uh yeah uh give course you can absolutely yeah so um if this is what they're using it for i am so happy that my favorite show this show is just uh, I, I i'm hoping this is the quote they use when i describe the show as being uh, nuttier than a sack full of squirrel poop um, i'm hoping that that's the one they actually go for um, because I love this show so much. I'm excited for Friday, but I'm also crying because it's the last episode. And what the hell? Why isn't there an announcement of a season two yet? What? Pardon? Season two. Now, please. Ooh, they announced yeah. Titans before the season even ended. I need a season two of Doom Patrol. Best program on TV. I love it. Give me all the free things. I want to watch them free. I, I, I've, I've seen it, but I want to watch it free everywhere. YouTube, Xbox, whatever. I want it now. Kelly, what do you <laughs> think? Well, there's the ad right there. But um, that's, I, I think it's a fantastic idea for them to let people watch the first episode free because, you know, obviously, if 
if it hooks people that quickly, I, I've personally been a victim of you watch something and then immediately go and find any way to see the rest of it. That's how I ended up getting HBO to watch Game of Thrones. I saw one or two episodes and was like, oh, I need to see the rest of the show, which obviously that's not what we're about, give or take, but the, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a really solid idea. And absolutely wonderful and hysterical that they're, you know, using one of your quotes. I really hope they just have this entire voice clip and can just play that and that's how they get people to watch the show. <laughs> Look for it. Listen for it, folks. Steve, Jay, Ray, they're offering it up for you. A verbal audio quote to tell you all about how, well, Doom Patrol is nuttier than a bag of squirrel. Steve, that's that's really something that I, I honestly would not have come up on my own, and yet now hearing it said by you, by Kelly, and now saying it myself, I can't think of any other way that they should be promoting it. DC Comics, if you're listening, DC Universe, if you're listening, right now we've had the most brilliant idea by Miss Kelly Gaines regarding this amazing quote from CJ Ray, and if you don't do this, I simply won't know what to do with you anymore. I, I really just won't. You've you've disappointed me. Um, I, I can only echo both of your sentiments. I think it's so smart to offer a really popular product like this, and they're offering it on YouTube, IGN, IGN's YouTube channel, Rotten Tomatoes, Watch Mojo. Um, that's just a great series of platforms to make it available. And that first episode, so many. yeah, it's so <laughs> engaging. Pick your favorite. And then once you're hooked like the rest of us and a bit obsessed, do like, you know, Kelly said, and get your subscription to the platform and become, you know, obsessed and, and enjoy it because the rest of us are. We can't stop talking about it. And once the rest of you get on, we can stop keeping secrets for you and like snickering and things like that because there's stuff we want to tell you about Admiral Whiskers and, you know, Ezekiel. I mean, there's so many, so many parts that we could be talking about, right? If only you were keeping up with us and if only you were following along because we're there. I mean, uh, if you've been keeping up, Doom Patrol is approaching its final episode and it's been an amazing run. And the hardest part about it is if you haven't seen it, we can't talk to you about it. And that's a little frustrating. We, we have things we want to say, and we want to be able to tell them to you without ruining this great experience. So uh, I'm all for it. I, I think it's a, a brilliant idea. And if if you like great storytelling, you're going to be binge-watching this soon enough that you'll be sending us comments by next week telling us how much you want to talk about Doom Patrol and when can we finally talk about Doom Patrol, because now you know. And uh, it's this free platform that gave you the chance to. Um, why not? with such a popular product and with, is, is, is genius the free platform is genius like kelly said it's the best way to get people invested because you guys in the states have the dc universe app i don't know if i mentioned this before but we don't we don't have it precious really so Oh, I only get it because I write for DC Comics News. It's the only reason I managed to see this wonderful show. And I have to watch it weekly. And that hurts. It really, really That's hurts. Insane. So, um, you guys, this free platform thing is the way forward. It's going to get so many people. Because we can talk about it. We've seen it. Luckily, I can because of who I write for. But I don't have anyone in this entire country I live in that I can talk to about this amazing show. 
And now, with this free platform and the first episode going out there, I'll be able to talk to people that I'll actually see physically about this program. And that is magic. So I'm so happy. Yeah, Steve, I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's something I, I just didn't even like include or keep on my radar about this. What an opportunity to introduce all of the international fans who currently don't have access to the DC Universe platform. And it's not simply about cost, it's about access. But if you give them the access to this great programming through an initial offering like this platform, it's only going to whet their appetites to look forward to when they finally do get access. And it's going to only hopefully increase the demand for access so that whatever the reasons might be that DC hasn't rolled it out on a larger scale, if they get enough fan response, I think it's only going to encourage them to figure out whatever the the muckety-muck is, clean it up, and get you guys access. Because if you've got an audience already waiting with bated breath to see episode number two, I mean, the only thing stopping them from signing up is giving them the service and letting them access it. And um, this is a really great way to start that process. I just hope they follow up soon so that, Steve, you can talk with all of your British brethren and anyone else on the other side of the pond who wants to experience this and would love to talk with you about it if only they could see the episodes like you do. And um, Exactly. I really appreciate you bringing up that point. That's awesome. Um, So, out there, if you're listening, you've got since may 17th which was actually yesterday to may 23rd to uh to keep up and to find out you know just what this pilot is that we're all talking about and then once you do let us know so we can talk with you more about it because you might have noticed we we have some things we want to say and we want to talk with people who've seen it too so uh we're looking forward to hearing from you and it's not just about this new project coming up but We've also been getting a lot of great, tempting, teasing little tidbits about the great future and the horizon that we're looking at when it comes to DC Universe. And that brings me so easily right into our newest Alec Holland Swamp Thing trailer. Now, Steve, you really didn't get a chance to join in the conversation that Brad and I were having. And in the past, I've really benefited from listening to you and Brad talk about your understanding of the entire Swamp Thing history and mythos. And I wanted to start with you and your reaction to this new Alec Holland Swamp Thing trailer. How does this bring in more information for those just learning about this character? And and what little tidbits of the the history you know were reflected in this trailer, or if they were in in any way? It definitely feels, with everything I see, a lot more Alan Moore. Uh, obviously they've changed a few things that they've got Abby in there from the start in the lab which is more akin to uh, the movies and the TV show from back in the day but um, the whole tone and the horror aspect of it is very Alan Moore and to my mind that was the first true DC horror comic yes I've had plenty of scary um, comics in the past but with that horrible restriction of the comics authority code which was plastered upon every comics cover from the 1950s straight to Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing. Um, Real horror couldn't be depicted in comics. There were so many rules and regulations where you couldn't have undead for for a start. There could be no zombies. Uh, You could see no blood, no dismemberment or whatever else. There was no true horror there. It was just trying to scare you more out of um, 
words than, than anything else. And then Alan Moore came along. Len Reen hired him to take over on, on Swamp Thing. And there came an issue where Anton Arcane possessed uh, the body of, um, at that point, Abby's husband. And Anton Arcane is, is, is Abby's uncle and a man who's been possessed by all manner of evil and slowly lost his own body and became a creature more horrific than anything that something could ever entail. And DC had this pressure to either not publish the comic because the Comics Code Authority wouldn't allow it because it had undead bodily possession. The whole thing of a possible incestuous relationship because Anton Arcane had possessed Abby's husband. And DC just said, no, this is brilliant storytelling. We don't want to censor it. And they put out the comic without the seal of the Comics Code Authority. It caused, back in the day, it was news. It was on TV. It was in newspapers. DC published horror comic without a seal of approval. And that led eventually to the whole Vertigo line, to adult comics, comics certification, comics for mature readers, due to that one story. And if they're going to be giving us a true DC Comics character in a real horror universe, everything I'm seeing is pointing towards that. And that just makes me happy because a storyteller, we've said it before, Seth, we've been saying it every week since we, we launched this, this podcast that, let the storytellers tell their story. Don't tie their hands because this isn't just about titillation or about making people scared or, or causing controversy. It's about fear sometimes lets us know we're alive. And a good horror show makes us feel this fear, feels the adrenaline pumping, feels the blood racing through our veins, wakes us up and keeps us wanting to see more. And if that's the kind of show they're going to give us, then, yeah, I'm really going to miss the squirrel poop show, but give me a mucking crusted monster <laughs> and I'll be happy to carry on subscribing until the cows come home. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Kelly, what do you think? It's funny that, because I, I adore Swamp Thing, and oddly enough, I got into Swamp Thing through a book I got at a yard sale and it was a weirdly smallish sized version of the Len Wein Swamp Thing run. So I classic. guess the, the the classic like original like I don't even know what year that's from. But it's a lot earlier than seventies. That's and I I mean I got it at a yard sale. I kept it it was my purse book for the longest time. And it got me so into Swamp Things. So I was initially really nervous when I heard they were making a show at all because it's kind of like, I mean, my friends know Swamp Thing as Kelly's purse book. It's the thing that's always in my purse that I take out and read when I'm ready to go home. And so now it's a show. I love so. that. I, love <laughs> that. It's, I mean, it's a great signal, especially when I was in college and we'd go out to bars. It's the best way to communicate to my friends, like, I'm ready to go. Just you whip out Swamp Thing and suddenly everyone's like, OK, 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 we're leaving. But um, <laughs> I, but I haven't gotten to read the, the Alan Moore one yet. So I'm really excited about the show. It looks beautifully done and it looks terrifying. And 
I, you know, I'm all for Swamp Thing as long as it's well done and it's Swamp Thing, I'm happy. So I'm really excited to see what they do with this show. Seth, you and I had this conversation a couple of weeks back and Kelly has just underlined it. Start with the original. To get the full impact and learn about this character, start with the Len Wayne, Bernie Wrights and Swamp Thing because it's, yes, it's old. Yes, it's from the 70s, but it's got a magic and a charm. And that art, Bernie Wrightson's art, is just beautiful. And you'll go through this journey with the character. It's it's almost like, remember the old Hulk TV show where Bruce Banner's literally just wandering the world, cursed and alone, trying to find a cure for himself? That's very similar to, to those original something stories, but they had that dark and magic and monsters and, and ethereal fantasy quality to them as well. So start there. Please start there. Yeah. And then go on to the other. Yeah. I, I think starting with a cornerstone work like that is, is the best way to go. I also feel like, uh, you know, Steve, I, I really feel that you and Kelly are, are both talking to some, <laughs> to some really interesting parts of the story. What really sticks for me, one, is the idea of how I need to somehow incorporate the purse book idea into my own life in some way. <laughs> I don't carry a purse. Genius. And yet Genius. in some way, I I need a satchel, a bag, a knapsack, uh, something, uh, an attache that contains a similar, if not a Swamp Thing book that I can just pull out at any given moment and people are like, oh, see that guy? <laughs> Seth broke it out, okay? Anytime you see, or you know what? Just have the random one, like, so what's going on right now? Uh, that looks like Long Halloween. Yep, Seth just took out Long Halloween. He's going to sit down for a minute. He's going to, what's that now? Nope, nope, now he's got the Len Wine. He's got the, that Swamp Thing, dude. He's serious. He wants to go home. <laughs> Seth wants to go home. I, I, I love that idea. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it echoes because it's pretty funny because you can't always tell with my wife sometimes, but she'll just pick up her phone and like, oh, I'm going to play a crossword puzzle and I'll get that. Hey, is she she bored? Does she want to go home? Because like yeah. she's playing crossword puzzles on her phone. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of a 50 50. Why don't you ask? <laughs> see, see what happens. But I, I feel like it's such a great tell. You know what I mean? It's like if you were playing cards and suddenly the one guy's like, uh, get a fresh drink over here. Everybody goes, oh, something's happening. Something is definitely <laughs> happening. And yet the reverse in this situation is that, you know, Kelly, you were like, yep, I'm going to take the book out. That's my <laughs> sign. OK, I'm ready to go home whenever you're That's ready to interrupt me. It's time to go. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because I'm not staying here. So let's <laughs> let's just go um, really quickly. Just back to the trailer itself. Um, I thought it was a really smart I thought it really well designed. I love the mystery and the sort of threat, um, you know, with the uh, the boat. I love the science that's being brought in, that introduction to like something's happening even before this transformation. And that gives it also this great sort of horror suspense feel to it. Like something's happening in the swamp. And that great line where he goes, you feel that? Did you hear that? Everything's waking up. And I, I love those sort of introductions from from his perspective, where you get that sort of sense of a character recognizing that something's coming. And while he's clearly unaware of just what his role will end up being in this amazing story and, and what part he'll end up playing, that sort of um, foreshadowing that's suggested through this trailer, I thought was great. 
And also, just to add to that mystery and horror, the moment when you see Swamp Thing hobbled and sort of like lurching forward in this very clumsy, almost painful way as he's getting closer to Abby and the recognition that if you know who Swamp Thing is, you know, this isn't a threat. This isn't danger. But if you're a human being who's just covered in swamp goop, dripping wet in the water (laughs) and this thing is coming at you, you don't know any of that. And your honest, heartfelt reaction is, oh, God, I'm in a swamp and there's a creature coming towards me. What what would my honest reaction be except for fear and terror? And um, knowing what we've already seen from that great trailer that we saw on Twitter not too long ago with Abby and the relationship that that's hinted at down the road. I love that we get to start out with this this moment that that seems so menacing and yet. When I was looking at Swamp Thing, all I felt was this sense of, almost a sense of helplessness. Like, ah, I know you're in pain, man. You're clearly just trying to do anything you can in this moment. And what you can do, it's so jarring and so unexpected that it feels threatening and menacing without that, that degree of understanding. And how that, I guess, so many ways... It reminds me of that great thing that I think I heard um, Spielberg, I think it was Spielberg, say once about the idea behind a lot of his movies is about communication. And this idea of communication just sort of came about when I was watching the trailer. How are these two people going to bridge the now huge differences between who they were and who they are? And how are they going to develop this communication and all of these aspects that will be part of their relationship? Um so many great elements that were hinted at in the trailer and so many great possibilities if they can sort of follow through on the promises that are that are introduced really early on. Beautifully paced, directed, lit, written and acted trailer. As, as far as trailers go, that's like the benchmark. That's, that's the brass ring. It's really, really well made. Steve, I really appreciate you adding that in there, too. You know, just knowing your history, knowing your understanding of so much about the character that that for uh, a fan with your history, that 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 feeling comes through from the trailer also lets me know that they're speaking not just to new fans or to the newly initiated, but to fans who have this longstanding history and are looking for the respect and recognition of that history, which it sounds like this trailer did a great job of of doing for you. It did three things for me, this trailer. Invested. (laughs) (laughs) Really nice. Kelly, anything you'd like to add before we move on to the next? Um, You know, as... uh, as someone who made Swamp Thing their um, their purse book, <laughs> that's just I mean bring on the Swamp Thing. And actually, this this might be a good thing because if it's a show that's out there that my friends can watch, they might not think it's as weird for me to have a book where I, I mean the cover is just this green looking blob kind of purple background. It's it's an old book, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm so excited, and now I need to read the Alan Moore one, which I think I have unopened and unread somewhere on one of my bookshelves so that's you know something to get out of the way before the show actually airs but i am so excited and also so happy that you know 
I, that they're using Swamp Thing. That it's not, you know, what other Batman characters can we use, or whatever, what other Superman characters can we use? This is, I mean, it's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Even though I'm the biggest Batman fan in the world, the fact that we had a Titan series, a Doom Patrol series, and that was Swamp Thing series that's serious. This series isn't a joke. This isn't a rubber guy in a suit. This isn't dodgy special effects. Power Rangers meets Swamp Thing. No, this is the true Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson, Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, John Tottleburn, Rick Veach, Alfredo Alcala, Scott Snyder, Yannick Paquette, Swamp Thing. <laughs> Boy, I hope somebody was trying to write all those down because you said them so fast. That's going to be really fun to watch them going, hold on, rewind, hold on. Wait, hey, wait, I can't <laughs> like I said, Geekopedia, baby, Geekopedia. Steve, you, you never disappoint. You uh, you always impress and surprise. And Kelly, if your friends get a chance to see this, you could become like that student who is always secretly carrying around this like gold mine of knowledge, and the rest of them were just like, what? That's what you are reading all this time? <laughs> oh my goodness. I, Seth, I you know what's going to happen life. now. What's that? You know what's going to happen now, Seth? Kelly's going to point at all her friends and like the classic, classic line from The Simpsons, she's going to point at them and go, <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but if there suddenly becomes this trend where I'm out and I notice that everywhere girls are suddenly pulling out these huge right. graphic novels of DC comic book characters <laughs> and reading at the later parts of the evening because it's like the clue for their guy or girlfriends like, hi, um, <laughs> ready to go. And if that oh, becomes no. this like new style thing, I think that would be the best thing to walk into a place. And all the guys like, yeah, you know, we I, love coming I, out I, here. All the girls are so I, interested and all the girls are reading comic books. <laughs> I've just had the craziest of all time brain farts. I've just had a vision of Kim Kardashian pulling out a graphic novel to tell Kanye, yeah, let's get the kids home. Oh, um, God. <laughs> going to be the latest fashion accessory. Kelly Gaines has done it. The graphic novel in your purse, fashion accessory. This is how we give these useless men hints as to what we are doing, where we want to go. Kelly Gaines, I salute you. Now I want it to be like the new red carpet thing. What? Not That's what it. purse are you carrying, but what comic book are you carrying in what your purse? Let's get down. Hey, Let's get image down on the purse. From the 90s. What <laughs> yeah. yeah. made it? I mean, they made VHSs into purses for a little bit at Neither of you would know what's at Forever 21. That was a thing for a little bit. They were VHS tape looking purses at at Forever 21 and Urban Outfitters. So this might be the new one. (laughs) And it's so I'm sorry. They actually had films on them. Really? (laughs) Could you play that? That's phenomenal. (laughs) You know what, though? All I ask is this. If they do do it, can we please call it the Kelly Gaines comic book purse? Can we just... Or the graphic novel first, but can we, That's you know, <laughs> can we just give the recognition? All royalty checks, once again, go to Kelly Gaines, Seth Singleton, and Steve Ray, care of DC Comics News. <laughs> Thank you, DC Comics. It. Yeah. <laughs> and none of that checks in the mail thing. We got direct deposit. Let's line this up already. Come on, come on. 
Hey, uh, you know, we could talk more about the Swamp Thing trailer, and we could probably talk for hours and hours, because now that we've got the comic book purse and the, uh, well, the graphic novel purse book and so many others that we can add to it, it's it's easy to just maybe missed that there was more than one trailer that was also released. We also got our first look at a fully fledged Batwoman trailer. Now you might've, you know, heard us talking about how there was that teaser not too long ago, just a little bit of a rooftop action, a a quick turn, you know, a quick glimpse of the full uniform and, and that just that, you know, tease. But this was actually a complete trailer. And it's the first one we've seen from Batwoman. And Steve, I'm going to start off with you. What did you think about this first introduction to everything that is going to kickstart um, Ruby Rose's take on uh, Batwoman? What did I think? Seth, have you met me? Oh, I have, but they haven't. And I just like to set them up and be a little bit unprepared for just what you're going to unleash, my friend. It's been said once or twice or possibly 17,864 times that I'm a Batman fan and <laughs> you're automatically a fan of his little cousin, the genius, the martial artist, the soldier, the fighter, the winner, Batwoman, Kate Kane and Ruby Rose. I salute you as well, because again, this whole internet backlash and nonsense and people slating and berating this woman before she'd even appeared on screen and has she turned around and shut every single one of them up oh yes i think so and with this trailer um oh the bat suit's perfection nah it'll be perfect when it can fit a woman or some beautiful line absolutely i mean she is kate kane and now we've seen do grace scott as her dad like i said i knew he was going to pull it off he's got enough of a yeah i'm dad i'm a soldier i'm badass but can you really trust me just in that trailer i got those feelings from him because i know all about jacob kane and how devious manipulating and smart the man is and they've picked the perfect actor to portray him and now i've seen alice in action um arguably one of the greatest nemesis in comics history i don't want to give away too much if you go if you guys haven't read batwoman and i know that viewers might not know that alice isn't just batwoman's nemesis she's a very important figure from batwoman's past and man oh man that is a couple of minutes that made me smile from ear to ear great trailer really well done i mean the complete opposite chalk and cheese to the something trailer this was like this was action this was pure comic book this wasn't horror and fear and terror but this was cool as a snowman wearing ray-bans i loved it kelly what, what did you think i'm so excited this looks so good and i mean i i've been all for ruby rose playing batwoman from the start because i'm she's I only ever saw her in um, Orange is the New Black, but she was she was good. She's always good. She always seems to deliver. She seems to be focused on, you know, not just playing the role as sort of I'm going to be the face of this hero, but actually trying to get into what Batwoman's about. And I, I mean, it looks fantastic. It looks well made. It looks like they've, you know, tried to really touch on what what goes on in the books. 
Um, you know, and, and you do have to commend her for dealing with some of the crap that she's gotten since she's started out as Batwoman because it's, and I remember the dumbest thing I saw was, um, you know, people complaining about the, the fact that she's going to be gay, which, I mean, Batwoman's been written as a lesbian, I think, since 2006. So I was in sixth grade when that happened. So this is not new. This isn't rebranding. This is, this is Batwoman. This is the Batwoman that you know, at least everyone that I know grew up with. So it's not I, I mean, that, the amount of people who still do not know that Batwoman and Batgirl are different characters. Because I'm still <laughs> people coming up to me saying, hang on, she's called Batwoman now. But hang on, didn't she used to go out with Dick Grayson? Said, different damn character. Wake up. <laughs> Steve. Really appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's a distinction that maybe not everyone's, you know, going to make right away. Yeah, um, you know, one of the distinguishing things that was kind of fun about Batgirl was that she wore a wig to disguise who she was with the reddish hair. Right. And, you know, if you're going to go ahead and make that quick little suggestion that, oh, now it's just Batgirl grown up, then you've missed everything that this character was written for and about. I mean, such a transformation from the early days when she was supposed to be, you know, a fill-in as a girlfriend kind of character for Batman. But this introduction she had, you know, in 2006 as Kate Kane and everything that Kate Kane means. Um, For me, I actually saw her first in, uh, I believe it was part of the storyline dealing with the 52 Weekly that they did uh, not long after, you know, uh, the identity and infinite crisis storylines. And I thought that was so compelling. You had so many things brought in the, the book of Cain and this whole mythos. And then later all these different things that came to make her such a compelling character, so much more of an identity than just a female version of Batman or uh, the Batman with the red hair and the red lips. Like, this this is a Batwoman. This is a Batwoman with an identity completely removed. The only, you know, mild connection is this cousin sort of thing. But other than that, what you're talking about here is someone whose identity has been forged completely on their own, completely separate in so many ways from, you know, from anything that would say, oh, well, this is a spinoff of. No, Kay Kane is a woman who's proven herself in so many different ways. And it's broader to how, or it's broader to this point, to where she can be someone who can wear a cowl, who can put on um, an identity that's as, as weighted, I guess, as someone like Batman's, and say, yeah, this fits perfectly, once we've tailored it for a woman. As Steve pointed out so, so nicely with that trailer, yeah, it's going to be a perfect fit when we make it right when we make it do all the things it's supposed to be able to do. And that's really what I took away from this Batwoman trailer. This idea that, you know, there's an identity that's already been forged in comics for, um, well, about 11 years now. And, and based on that, we've got a lot of source material. And I feel like the, the trailer really touched on so many great pieces of it. Uh, it felt smart. It felt sexy it felt um full of complex themes you know everything with those flashbacks to the military and the challenge of what do you stand for and how far are you willing to go for what you stand for and also the the sort of elements that that make her someone who can be that person who's then going to discover the bat cave and sort of rope in the uh the son of lucius fox and say okay 
I found this stuff and I'm going to do something. It's not like a secret that I've discovered and I'm going to keep it a secret. It's a secret that I'm going to use to my advantage because, well, I know what this city really needs. And I love that that it's an answer to what's supposed to be the fill-in for Batman. You know, you've got this private security group, the Crows, and I really like the way they were introduced kind of early as a concept at the beginning of this trailer and how they're supposed to be the fill-in for Batman, but clearly they aren't doing the job, which is why you need a woman to step in and take care of business. And, and having her sort of be that answer to the problem was great. I was also intrigued that, that I just noticed... Um, I wasn't aware of her previous acting history. I really appreciate Kelly that you brought up Orange is the New Black. And um, I was intrigued to see that she was also in Pitch Perfect 3 as well as two action movies, John Wick Chapter 2, which I, I can honestly say, I'm sorry, I don't remember her uh, her appearance in that. But that she yeah, was also she's in She's one a, of the main uh, baddies. She's great in that. And she it, doesn't say it, a word. It's fantastic. And that's the thing that took me until until I was thinking about, like, why is it that I'm not putting these two? And I started doing the IMDb screenshots until I saw her. And I'm like, wow, I I simply did not recognize her from the movie, did not connect the two of them together. Once I saw the picture, it, it made total sense. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the same person. Why? Why did I not, you know, connect those two together? And the only reason I can think of is because I feel like she felt so complete as Kate Kane, that I didn't make the, you know, direct connection. When I first saw her in the crossover this past year during the, uh, you know, the, the Arrowverse crossover that they do, um, she was Kate Kane. That's, that's all she was to me, you know? And then later seeing this reference to John Wick and then flipping through the screenshots and going, Hey, wow. What a, I mean, it, it shouldn't be that much of a difference, but she seems so different, like so much more that she's one character in one and one the other. It's it's not like I'm seeing, oh, this is Ruby Rose, you know, like I saw her in John Wick and now I'm seeing her in Batwoman. I felt like I was looking at two completely different people. And that's probably what I'm going to take away the most is I think that, you know, what that physical transformation already shows me is that this is going to be a character who's been created from the ground up and isn't part of anything else that she's done, but it's rooted in this sort of history and the, the concrete nature of the comic books where she comes from. Um, and yeah, Steve, I was a little disappointed in myself too. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, how did I not recognize who she was? And it was that I felt her character transformation from that movie to this one was so complete that until I saw the pictures side by side, I didn't make the connection. Now, Tiff, you can be more than forgiven because I'm one of those extremely sad people that when I hear they're making a TV show or a movie adaptation of any comic book character that I like, I will go back and look at the back catalogue of all these actors. When I heard Christian Bale was cast as uh, Batman, the first thing I did is go and watch Equilibrium and go and watch, um, is it Dragonfire? Dragon... The one with the dragons Dragonfire. in London. Yeah. Oh, and... right, yeah. Yeah, so I had to see these actors. So what I did was I, uh, well, I love the Pitch Perfect films because my wife, um, I'll say she made me watch them, but I actually think they're great fun. I love them. <laughs> them. I think they're brilliant. And I love acapella. I think acapella singing is just beautiful. And, um, of course, John Wick movies, they're crazy good. I haven't seen number three yet, but, yeah, I had to. And I thought, just on the strength of John Wick, I thought, yeah, 
I'm happy with this casting. And that trailer and her appearance in Elseworlds, she's nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't, you know, couldn't say more if I wanted to about it without feel like I'm, I'm just gushing and rehashing the, the points that I brought up before. Um, I thought it was a really complete trailer. And that was probably the best part about it. I didn't feel like there was something missing or something. Ah, oh, wouldn't it have been great if they it felt like they packed so much in and so well that by the end of it, I thought, you know what? I've got all the pieces that are going to make me looking for these scenes throughout this first season. Uh, I've got all these great little snapshots that are going to set up great moments that I'm going to want to experience. And this actually sets us off for the announcement that the CW has released their entire fall schedule of which Batwoman will be one of the the features. It's going to be on Sunday night uh, next to Supergirl. So you've got Batwoman from 8 to 9, Supergirl from 9 to 10. And uh, Monday, you've got Black Lightning. And then, of course, Tuesday, Flash, Arrow. Was there any sort of thing that really, uh, you know, caught your attention with uh, this announcement about the CW listing? I mean, I like the team up nights. I, I like the Batwoman Supergirl on Sunday. Um, Monday's Black Lightning doesn't feel like a big difference for me. Moving Flash and Arrow together on Tuesday. I, I was looking for something that was really jumping out at me, except for, you know, now we've got dates and times confirmed. Steve, can I move to you first? If there was anything that, you know, stuck out for you about this announcement from CW and their uh, their fall listing that's been published? I found it very clever. Very, very clever that we've got the two female-led shows on together. Then you've got like a bit of a break with an action show and then Black Lightning and then Flash and Arrow on the same night, the two shows that started it all, which is genius because we know now that obviously Arrow is only going to run for 10 episodes. And then um, they're going to bring in Legends of Tomorrow when every, all the others go on a mid-season break. And obviously with Arrow being the gritty street crime show, Batwoman just it's just geared tailor designed to be the perfect replacement for arrow it's going to be the new urban street crime gritty martial arts superhero show so i just think that that entire scheduling is very very clever and with a new nancy drew story going up against riverdale this like it's like the cw is like the dc universe uh network that you can actually watch so it's it's really good. Um, I, I'm very very happy with that one. Apart from Friday, which I could totally do without. Um, well, maybe Charmed. I've, I've been told that I, I might like that, but uh, Dynasty or Die Nasty, as um, most people do in that show. Um, so uh, I think that's a very 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 clever schedule. I'm I'm happy with that. Um, what do you think, Kelly? I I mean. I completely agree with your takeaway. And also, isn't it nice to see something that is actually confirmed information? <laughs> like, all this is happening. This is, <laughs> this is what it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> nice, and it's rare. Like a good steak. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, bring it on. It looks, it looks fantastic, and I am so excited. And I actually have a reason now to watch the cable that I pay for, but never actually use. <laughs> right. I, I like that. Um, you know, making good use of that expense and actually putting it to use for the reasons that you want it to be, which is great superhero television, like, you know, Batwoman, Supergirl, Black Lightning. 
the Flash and Arrow. And Steve, I really appreciate that you brought up the fact that Arrow is only going to be around for the first half of next yeah. season. And it was a question that really sort of was in my mind about what does that mean for putting Arrow and Flash side by side on one night, knowing full well that they're going to be removing Arrow at the, the mid-season point. And uh, I didn't I didn't realize or, you know, it wasn't until you said the idea of bringing in, you know, Legends of Tomorrow to, to fill that spot that I was thinking to myself, oh, OK, so that would be a natural transition. Of course, that's going to leave the grit and the gritty to uh, Batwoman on Sunday. Um, I think the one thing that I was kind of intrigued by was the idea of how that's going to change the tone of Tuesday nights from one half of the season to the next, because Tuesday nights will be the flash in the final season or half season of arrow. And then later it's going to be flash and legends of tomorrow, which I always felt like flash introduced the lighter sort of lighthearted side of the yeah. DC Arrowverse CW universe. I hope I put that all together in some way that sounds, you know, <laughs> understandable, but that, that combination of those elements and that, you know, it, it was the counter to uh to arrow and that's what i felt like this uh programming schedule with flash and arrow one after the other feels like on on tuesday night because in some instances flash has shown that it, it can go to that grittier side that that arrow was always sort of more known for but then what's it going to mean for tuesday nights when you're going to have two opportunities for a lot of sort of fun lighter side storytelling between the flash and DC Legends of Tomorrow. You think that might sort of balance out the the maybe sadness or the the sense of loss that's going to come with having Arrow leaving that spot at the midway point, and you know knowing that it's probably going to be a, a very heartfelt ending, however it turns out, and that maybe we'll need a bit of levity to fill that spot once Arrow's gone. That was that was really the only thing left for me. I, I, if either of you have uh, something you want to add to that or or thoughts on that. That was really the only sort of question about the scheduling that, that I'd been wondering about, you know, how is that going to change the feel of a Tuesday night from the flash and arrow to the flash and DC legends of tomorrow. And uh, is it just going to be that sort of levity that we're going to need to make up for, for losing such a, uh, a standard like arrow, Steve, I don't see flash season six being a light season, especially with the way, season five just ended um spoiler alert for anyone who's listening who hasn't caught up with flash um very dark ending and the loss of uh very quickly beloved member of team flash um looks like possibly permanently and we know that carlos valdez has left as vibe and he's actually quit his powers in the show so we know that he's not coming back um, Sherlock seems to have gone back to his own dimension as well. So the one issue I did have with this season is there seem to be too many characters, but with that dark ending, and the, I don't know if anyone watched right past the end credits for the final episode of Flash, that the countdown for Flash vanishing in the crisis counted down from 2020, whatever it was, to 2019. The crisis on Infinite Earths is coming. And from the comic book the deaths that really stood out were Flash and Supergirl. Now, there's a way around that, the, the, the arrow that Oliver's sacrificing himself to save them somehow. But then I've also got my own theory, which I think I've, I've mentioned on this podcast, but I'm 
on so many podcasts and stuff that I may, may be mistaken. But I posited the fact that they've introduced John Wesley Ship's Flash 1990 and the Red Daughter Supergirl, that maybe they're the ones that we're going to lose. Um, so I actually think that the next season of Flash... And now that Reverse Flash is back out there, might not be as light and jovial as we're expecting. And I'm also thinking that once Arrow ends, they're going to put Legends with Supergirl and move Batwoman over to the Arrow spot. But that's just one possible way of looking at it, I think. Kelly, any thoughts from you on that before we go ahead and shift away? That's, I mean, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that I, I don't think I have anything else to add to that. That's pretty concise. <laughs> uh, you know, my only thing to add on that, Steve, I, I really appreciate the, the way you brought in some of the, the elements from this most recent episode of Flash. I, I do agree that it ended on a, a darker note. I was wondering, you know, how that future would look, um, especially with what we know of Crisis on Infinite Earths to be based on the comic book but also what we've seen as far as these sort of movements from the monitor that I don't remember from the crisis on infinite earth storyline involving Oliver or Felicity, who's, you know, essentially a television character who, Oh yes. And she's uh, gone as well. Felicity's not, not in the final season. is She, the, she's not in the final season. And for anyone who saw the final episode of arrow, there was a inference to her role next season in relationship to the monitor. Um, for anyone who's listening, I'm sorry I'm about to drop the spoiler on this. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, please just tune me out for about 30 seconds. I promise I'll be done really fast. But they essentially they show uh, you know Felicity leaving with the monitor and perhaps making her own deal with him that was originally supposed to deal made between Oliver and the monitor. And I feel like that's muddying things up a little bit as to who actually will be the one who's making the final sacrifice or if there's more than one person making the final sacrifice that's going to be a different twist than what we saw from the comics when it was Kara and Barry who were the ones who gave up their lives to help save the universe so I'm, I'm really curious how they're going to turn things but I do have to agree with you Steve that yes Flash does point to some really darker storylines for next season and that challenges my idea of you know how it could, you know, still be considered on the lighter side of the Arrowverse. Um, and I like the idea of moving Batwoman over. Um, I'm curious to see how that plays out, because that would fill the gritty hole left by the disappearance of Arrow midseason. Um, I think I could probably keep speculating about a lot more, but I could also allow us to keep moving through this amazing list of stories that we still have to get through and following up on the news about the cw schedule is the announcement that batman and legends will be part of the five-part crisis on infinite earth crossover that's going to be coming and i'm really excited to see that these characters are going to be playing such important roles um i really enjoyed the way legends were involved in the invasion storyline and I really loved the way that we were able to use Elseworlds to bring in our first glimpse of Batwoman. Steve, uh, can I start out with you about what your thoughts are about Batwoman and Legends and their role in the five-part Crisis on Infinite crossover we can expect next season? Well, since they introduced the whole concept of a TV crossover, I've been jumping up and down with glee. 
I mean, first of all, we had Flash and Supergirl, and then we had the invasion and the crisis on Earth X and Elseworlds. I mean, I did miss uh, the legends in Elseworlds, but they they made their hilarious quip about, oh, let's get called Flash and Green Arrow to help us. Oh, no, the (laughs) annual crossover. And I thought that was absolute genius. But the fact we're now going to have Arrow, Flash, Legends, Batwoman, Supergirl, all crossing over you know what fanboy me is so happy right now it's like a dream come true it's like all all the comic book movies and tv we're getting and i grew up and it was the hulk and that was about it and (laughs) so having all this really good stuff but i have to ask the question um only if they manage it well, because with that many characters, I mean, logistically, it's going to be a nightmare to to put it all together. But they've done it before. I mean, to me, Crisis on Earth X was just fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. It involved all of them well. So, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, Crisis on Infinite Earths, is there a more legendary story? It's been the backbone of virtually every DC story since. We've having annual crises. We've even got a crisis on Turtle Earth in Batman <laughs> Turtles 3 going on right now. So um, it's a good time to be a nerd. It really is. I'm a happy man. What about you, Kelly? Are you as, as, as silly about and giddy about this as I am? I mean, perhaps not as, as silly as you are, but... It's, it, there I, are very I, few I, people who are as silly as I am, but are you on a similar level? The world can only sustain but I, I mean, yeah, this, I love, love a good crossover. And I think one of the traps that, you know, that they could have fallen into is not enough preparation, not really building it up enough for the audience that have been watching all of these different shows. And this one, it's, it's been built up. The foundation is there. And as long as they're going into it with a really solid foundation, then I think they're going to, it's going to be very, very good. So I'm excited. I think it'll be a you know, at the very least, a solid example of a crossover. I can't help but echo, you know, one, what a, what a solid example of a crossover, yes, and also how many times it's been done so well. Steve, you pointed to the crisis on uh, Earth-X. That, that was a, a great one. I really enjoyed Invasion because... For me, Invasion was one of those storylines that happened right before I got into comics. And so it was always this reference point that until I had finally read it, you know, gave me a chance to understand just who these alien invaders were and what their danger, you know, really created for, you know, superheroes who I thought, oh, they can fend off aliens and all kinds of, I mean, (laughs) come on, dominators, dominate. What's a dominator? Just sounds like a cheesy bad guy name. And yet they made them feel so threatening and, and, and dangerous, right? Like you're just like, dominators really dominate you <laughs> dominate you're just so dominating you know but but they felt real they felt you know dangerous and I, I really think that you know with the stakes that are involved with crisis on infinite earth there the only thing left is are you going to show me all this stuff that made crisis feel so so terrifying i mean to this day the shadow demons and how only some powers could affect them and others couldn't just it raised the stakes so much during these, you know, huge fights where you're thinking to yourself, anybody 
could go right now. I could lose any favorite character if I read the next panel or turn the next page. And sure enough, you know, you saw some great ones. I will never forget the moment that I saw Dove reaching out towards Hawk and being taken away by a shadow demon and just that. Oh, heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. And the way the brothers are and, and his last sort of like, you know, Hank, we've always fought this battle two different ways. You know, me with my heart, you with your hands. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> why? They're brothers. No. And and just knowing that there are those kind of stakes involved. Uh, I'm really curious to see, you know, just how it can pull at my heartstrings by also introducing the storylines of characters like Batwoman, who weren't part of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, but now can be so much more a part of this story and play a different role or, you know, fill a space that I might have had in my head from the comics put aside for somebody else. But now she'll be able to come in and do that as well. And also just to see how they're going to spread the parts over these five episodes. I think that's a really neat idea. You know, you've you've got it stretched out over You've got three of the five parts in December, the remaining two coming after the midseason break, which is going to, of course, mean a great cliffhanger. It just sounds like a lot of really thoughtful planning and preparation. And the fact that they're announcing it in May tells me that they've got all of these ducks and cards lined up. And I'm just waiting for them to tick the first domino and watch it all fall like one of those great masterpieces, right? And with that echo, it's really easy to move into the fact that next season will not just be about the crossover, but about some of the amazing storylines that will be coming out for some of our characters. And as Steve pointed to so clearly and so correctly, the Flash could be touching upon even darker possibilities in the future with the suggestion that the Red Death could make an appearance. Now, the Red Death is a newer character, but one who made quite an impression. And Steve, I'm going to go ahead and let you start us off. Uh, what's your response to this possibility? As soon as I heard the name dropped in passing in an episode of Flash in the most recent season, I thought, are we really going there? And the producer Todd Helbing said that um, it would be fairly difficult but never say never i mean they just introduced godspeed and he's already hinted at that was just the first appearance because again both these characters are fairly new godspeed only appeared in the first uh, few issues of the rebirth run of, of flash and he already has become a very very popular villain but red death is arguably the most frightening flash villain we could ever see because he is someone with all the powers of the flash but all the planning skill background training of the batman um for people who haven't read the comics there was a recent um miniseries called dark knight's metal which dealt with a dark multiverse um you know the whole story of worlds slightly like our own but slightly different these were worlds which were purely run by evil and in all of these worlds batman bruce wayne arguably the most capable crime fighter even though he has no powers made a decision and went to, to the dark side. The Red Death is a Batman who's murdered Barry Allen to steal his body and his powers. Um, but Barry's consciousness still fights to try and regain control. So if you could imagine the Flash fighting Batman 
that's already a terrifying battle, and you, you couldn't pick a winner. But Flash fighting Batman with Flash's powers, dang, um, <laughs> that's just crazy. So if they do manage to pull that off, boy, yeah, scary. Uh, that's going to make Reverse Flash look like Mickey Mouse. Honestly, that's going <laughs> to be something very special. I mean, <laughs> Kelly, how how are you finding that story? How's that? How's that tickle your funny bone? I I really hope that they, um, you know, that we actually do end up seeing the Red Death on the grounds that, yes, it's a newer character, but the whole point, you know, newer characters means we're not seeing the same kind of tired villains over and over again. And all of the Dark Knight medals or Dark Knight's medal versions of, you know, the Justice League characters were terrifying. So... You know, I know we've spoken before about the Batman Who Laughs being, you know, the Batman mixed with Joker, but to see a version of Batman Flash that's evil and then to see that play against, you know, something like Crisis on Infinite Earths, that'll be really, really interesting if they actually, if we do see him, which again, rumor, but I'm hoping that we do. Yeah, and the thing about a rumor is the way it can sort of just sort of feed your excitement. I mean, one of the things that really caught my attention early on with Flash was how many great characters from the comic books were suddenly appearing so quickly in the storylines. And so it it seemed like we were moving right through from Reverse to Savitar. And this season, the, the hint towards Godspeed was one thing. But the suggestion that we could see the Red Death next season is one that, that really, you know, made my brain just sort of spin around a few times. It was it was almost as though I was thinking, are you sure? We haven't even <laughs> cemented him long enough in comics. He just showed up. Like, he's so brand new. And yet, at the same time, that feels like such a great opportunity. Because we've seen that some of, I mean, some of the more intriguing newer characters have actually sprung from television into comics. Or had an early introduction in comics, but were fleshed out differently on a on screen, either the big screen or the smaller screen, and how there's so much that we really just don't know about the Red Death yet, simply because of how short his timeline has been in the DC universe. But I can't think of anything more menacing in my mind. I mean, granted, the the, the Batman who laughs, terrifying concept, yes. But there's something about the methodical preparation of someone like Batman and then making that move at super speed and the ability to put, you know, forethought and planning into something terrifying, something horrifying, and know that it could all be broken down by the, oh, what's that great determination of time? Like the picosecond, right? This so infinitesimal prospect or aspect of time. And yet it can be the, the the tiny sliver that makes the difference between everything and how that would be such a great thing to match up the flash against to to have him go up against somebody basically that they sort of teased the idea when they first had flash and arrow and that they referenced in one of the crossovers, which was when arrow says, I'm going to shoot you in the leg. And everyone's like, but he's the flash. He moves so fast. And then the way arrow sets up the trap, of course, once it's completed and there's Barry on TV with an arrow stuck in him, 
And you realize, as he presents to him, and he says, Barry, do you realize how you could scout out every situation faster than the blink of an eye and then make a strategy for how to act? Now put all of that sort of thinking into someone who's as well thought out as Batman and using all of that preparation with the speed and power of the speed force. I mean, really, the, the sort of ways you could twist and test and bend Barry and sort of show him all of all of the things that, you know, can be weaknesses, but that can also be strengths if he prepares. It, it would really be, I think, one of the biggest tests he's ever faced. And um, I love the idea of suggesting it. I love the way it makes me think about how this would really challenge a character I love on television. But also about how terrifying it would be to actually see the Red Death personified and manifested. I know Godspeed was a big sort of surprise, but I think Red Death would be that sort of one where I said, okay, I'm just going to watch this clip again. And then every person who I know who hasn't seen it yet, I'm going to say, have you seen this? Shh, sit down. You should watch this. <laughs> just shh, sit down. You should watch this because you won't really be able to have a conversation with me about anything until you do. This is now like sort of the foundation about everything I reference in life. It's like my cornerstone. Um, and seeing the Red Death would, would be that for me. Um, I love this suggestion. I love this possibility. And I love the idea of seeing it brought to life just because so much possibility exists in what we don't know about the Red Death. Um, and I kind of feel like I did a bit of a spiel there if anyone wants to tag on to anything I just said before we, we move into the next story. But really, the, the idea behind the Red Death, it, 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 it's full of so much possibility. Um, I only hold myself partly responsible for everything I just said. Only partly. <laughs> no, that was lovely. That, as always, kudos. I, I salute you. But I, I just want to leave it with this parting thought. Batman, our Batman, the heroic Batman, is still a scary character. I mean, this is a guy who got kicked out of the JLA on more than one occasion for cataloging ways of defeating every single one of them if they went bad. Now, anyone who's read the button saw Batman seriously contend with reverse flash, find a way of negating his vibrational powers, knowing that he had to be rooted because otherwise he'd just vibrate through the floor and nail his foot to the floor long enough for Barry to turn up. Now, this is a Batman who's got 25 ways out of every situation without powers. Make him evil. Give him super speed and access to the speed force. O M. Gee, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> Kelly, anything to add? There's no pressure if you don't. We were talking about a lot. No, that that was perfect. That is, yep. Oh, that's a scary <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, uh, the more we talk about it, the more it, it just sort of like manifests the idea of all the different ways he can be so dangerous. Now, DC Comics is full of dangerous characters. And while the Red Death, you know, puts together two terrifying personas and the possibilities that those personas can sort of create with their uh, merging. You know, there've been quite a few characters that have taken similar ideas like, uh, well, let's say amazing military prowess and match that with supreme intelligence and a character who contains all of those elements and has been 
one of the most engaging and menacing throughout DC Comics history has to be that of Deathstroke. And the announcement that he'll be getting his own animated series on the CWC was something that immediately brought to mind all of the different ways that I've seen Slade Wilson in comic books and all the ways I now hope to see him in this new CW Seed series. Steve, what was your first response to the idea that we're going to get to see a, uh, a version of Deathstroke the Terminator on CW Seed? Very happy, but I have two little problems with that. First of all, there's a wonderful actor out there who in about 90 seconds of screen time made a perfect Deathstroke. And that is Mr. Joe Manganiello. And why uh, are, have they got a perfect Deathstroke and they're not utilising him and making animated version? Hopefully with Manu Bennett, because if it's CW Seed, Manu Bennett is the TV Deathstroke. Perfect, spot on, accurate, wouldn't change a thing. But um, I, I just feel a little bit bad for, for someone who's already made a perfect Deathstroke, who is meant to be getting his own movie, meant to be appearing throughout a DC-connected universe, which now isn't a thing, but sort of is a thing because of Aquaman and Shazam and everything else. And again, mixed messages and sequels, reboots, connected, not connected. I don't know what's going on anymore. While I'd love the thought of another animated DC show, the CWC ones are brilliant, what with Constantine and with... uh, vixen and the freedom fighters but i I just feel a little bit bad for that perfect death stroke we will now never see so bittersweet really um and we're getting him in in titans too are they gonna now overkill him but not with the person we actually thought we were going to be seeing so this one's a bit of a sad one for me um more death strokes always a good thing but not the death stroke we wanted or needed perhaps i don't know um, what do you think kelly i think i mean yeah it's it's funny that y- you kind of put it perfectly nobody asked for this death stroke really nobody asked for this this show or this kind of i guess technically it's a relaunch of the character but my hope would be that i i mean at least that it is actually good once it comes out that it's well written that and did we know yet who's going to be voicing him no that was the thing we don't that's i mean hopefully if as long as they are good and they play the character well i mean i have dc stories always look good animated so i have faith on on that front at least but yeah i mean it's maybe not the most necessary show maybe not the most necessary revamp of you know a character where there was previously someone doing a good job um but i i'll be skeptically hopeful for now yeah i think the hardest thing about this announcement is the fact that it didn't automatically tie a voice of someone who we know to be associated with the character already mr bennett would have been a great voice Mr. Manginello, who, as you mentioned, Steve, in such a short appearance, made such a a great impression on so many people and the possibility of what he could do with that character. But without announcing that either of those names or even Isai Morales to give us a sense of continuity or uh, uh, through line when it comes to this character, that, that now we have potentially a third 
fourth, I don't know, how many iterations are we up to yeah. now? Of a Destro. It's hard to that, get excited, isn't it? Yeah. It's difficult, especially when you've seen already how well, I mean, I, I really thought the Arrowverse, you know, Deathstroke was very impressive. You know, yeah. I, I thought it started out, you know, with, with some questions for me, but gradually moved into a character that I really enjoyed. I felt for, and I was actually kind of on the fence when I heard about Manginello being cast. And I thought, well, okay, you, you have to do the big screen version and they're dealing with these other characters, so I'm going to accept that part of it. But now we're moving on to a third version. And it's like the second one only got a 90-second snapshot. Like, yes. Why, why are we moving so quickly away? I, I almost feel that if you were thinking about the fans, if you were thinking about how you can keep what's already worked so well, either one of those two actors would have some, been someone that you would have asked to consider or at least maybe make part of that conversation because – Without it, it really feels like it's hard to connect with Deathstroke anymore because you don't know what version you're getting. And with so many versions out there, is the animated one going to be the one that we're going to enjoy? Is it going to be the one that we're going to be happy to see? Or is it going to leave us wishing for things that we've already experienced but now aren't going to be available to us because this new version has to forge something else completely different on its own? Um, that's really going to be a conflict for me when I do get a chance to see it. And it's something that I think eventually DC is going to have to address when it comes to a character like Deathstroke. Because with so many versions of him out there, please, can the real Deathstroke just stand up and we all just move on? And, you know, just sort of have that happen? And until we do, um, let's put a little bit more thought into the things we're doing with this character. And what it means to the fans who really want to see a tried and true, honest portrayal of Deathstroke. Um, I don't know which one that's eventually going to be, but I feel like adding this animated project just makes things more confusing for the fans. And I count myself as one of those. Amen. Yeah. Um, now, that also points to some other issues that are going on. And another headline that's really sort of, you know, confusing and disturbing is the announcement that CW will not be resigning with... Uh, Netflix and that Arrowverse might get split up at least as far as its uh, streaming potential. Um, you know, this story creates a lot of mess, and you know, I don't want to dig into it too far for anyone, so I'm just going to ask each of you to sort of respond on a gut level for it because the speculation part of this could get way more confusing than any other speculating we've done up until this point. And we just went through the chaos of Suicide Squad, so let's not make this any messier than we have to. Steve, what are your thoughts about this split-up proposal and uh, lack of re-signing with CW and Netflix? This is one of the three dumbest ideas I've heard in a long time. I mean, this is up there with Brexit and voting in Trump. What <laughs> the actual hell? Why are you going to, especially with crossovers, we're talking about five shows crossing over. Are people going to have to find five different services to watch the crossover on now? Why? Why? If it ain't broke, people, don't fix it. Is this another way of, is this purely finance? Is this purely ways of lining pockets? Because if it is, um, that's going to annoy fans and people. Fans are the ones that are paying these fees, buying these subscriptions, watching these shows. By stealing them away and breaking them up and plastering them over different services, 
you're not doing anybody any favors. You might think you're earning a few more by getting a few more people paying you, but you're going to lose your viewers, and then you guess what? You're not going to have any shows to make. Um, dumb, 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 dumb. Kelly. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I I can't say for sure, but I feel like lately all I'm seeing is Netflix isn't doing X, Y, and Z anymore, which, I mean, apart from Umbrella Academy, then what are they really doing as far as comic book shows go? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I can't afford any more subscriptions. So if whatever I have is what I'm watching things on at this point. So really it's, it's disappointing when they discontinue something that's been on a streaming service, especially there are people out there who get specific services to watch something that they really enjoy. And if you keep changing it, it's just going to alienate fans that want to see it. Yep. Not only that, but I feel that in the end, if you've taken what has come to be a guaranteed place to catch up on all of these great seasons when it's convenient for you and you're changing it all, you're creating that sense of, well, what do I call home now for all these different people? And asking them to leave the one source that they've had for all of the shows that allow them to feel connected to the CW universe and then splitting that up into all these different places is kind of like asking them to, you know, just do what you were describing, Kelly, choose between where and how they're going to spend their money and which platforms they're going to be able to include as part of their personal package. And if you stretch them too far, too thin across too many platforms, people are going to make some really hard choices. And the losers are going to not only be the fans, but the great shows that could have been supported if you'd just done what you'd already been doing stuck with something that worked and kept them all in the same place. And if you're not paying attention to that, you're not paying attention to your fans and your fans are going to pay attention to the fact that they're not being noticed or apparently being concerned for or about. And fans like knowing that you're thinking about them. They like knowing that these are things you're thinking about when you're making decisions like this. This doesn't feel like it was a decision made with the thought of the fans in mind, feels like it was a money decision, like Steve brought up. Um, one of the challenges, I think, with with these television products is that they're all trying to do something amazing with the comic books we all love. And what I love is that after all of this streaming television movie news, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back to some comic book news that hopefully just sort of brings us all back to the reasons we got into all this in the first place. We read great comics and we wanted to see the stories told in as many different ways as possible. So with that in mind, we're going to take a quick break for our other ad and we'll be coming back with some great new comic book news in just a few seconds. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News here to tell you about the spinner rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. 
Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. See? Faster than a flash. And like that, we're back with Steve J. Ray and the always opinionated Kelly Gaines. Actually, we're always all opinionated. I don't know why I just put that on you, <laughs> Kelly. It just seemed to roll off the tongue that way. I am pretty opinionated. Because but, she carries books in her bag. That's why. <laughs> See? It's all about the comic book purse, the purse comic. <laughs> keep coming back to it. Now the, exactly. Hey, you know what? You started something. Where is then? Who knows? But you started it. Um, I'm going to pick a I actually right want a purse my... now so I can pick a book put a book in it. I want one. <laughs> well, fantastic. I do. <laughs> you know what? I'm ready. Call it my purse. Call it my man's bag. Whatever. <laughs> if it lets me carry around comic books, I'm going to be happy. And when it comes to comic books, unfortunately, this is one that even if you wanted to get your hands on it, you probably won't be able to with the announcement that DC Comics has sent out a cease and desist announcement regarding a AOC that would be Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez Wonder Woman cover, a book that was designed to sort of display this freshman group of politicians. And it was one that was put together by New York collector, cave retailer, Carla Cohen. And it gives this amazing sort of uh, cover with Miss Cortez wearing uh, a Wonder Woman styled outfit. But that's what's sort of gotten the attention of DC who presented this cease and desist notice um, essentially even though there were already 250 copies done they now either need to be destroyed returned or recalled Steve let me go to you first what, what did you think about this uh, announcement how uh, you know we're seeing more and more about politics and comics blurring the lines well the thing that does stand out is it is a beautiful piece of art. It's a really great portrait of the lady, but that is Wonder Woman's costume, and that's naughty. Um, well, it's a great thing for collectors who've managed to pick up the issue because that's going to be a real collector's item because, yeah, a couple of hundred printed, but how many actually saw the light of day and reached people's hands? It's still a little bit wrong to use clearly... Uh, Wonder Woman's costume, even with the A, it's red, it's white, it's blue, the symbol, the tiara. Yeah, that wasn't very well thought out, so not very clever, and DC within their rights. Uh, I'm with a slapping notice on everyone, even the president these days, so do not mess with DC people, do not mess with DC. What did you think, Kelly? Yeah, I, I agree, and I mean, to an extent, I like that comics are able to comment on politics. I like when you can pick out a theme in comics that is related to something that we're seeing, you know, in the real world. What I don't like is when it's kind of spoon fed to you, that you're supposed to be relating this person or this character to each other, or, you know, it, it feels a little pushed, a little bit forced. And I'd rather just be write a good story that speaks to the themes that these politicians are trying to, you know, trying to push or are concerned about instead of directly being like, no, look, she's Wonder Woman. That to me is, I, I don't like it being kind of delivered that way. So I, I think DC's well within their rights to say that they don't want this book out there. I, I kind of agree. And it's really easy for me to echo 
and follow up on what you were both saying. I mean, I think the thing is, if you're going to have a policy, you need it to be equal on both sides. And the biggest problem right now is we're seeing different party platforms trying to use DC products for their own purposes, whether it's the Trump campaign and uh, their recent cease and desist between DC and WB or this version, um, whatever your political platform is, do me a favor, leave the comics out of it. And if you're going to include comics in politics, let's have the comics talking about politics that address issues that both sides can get behind or both sides need to be addressing, not just one that takes one the other. Kelly, I really agree with you on that idea of like, okay, so if you're a fan of this kind of comic or of this character, then what you need to do is uh, be supporting this version of someone portraying that character. That's not actually what I want. What I want is a great story that makes me want to read about a character I love without being forced to be, you know, or being forced to, to agree with the concept that this character means this political position. Give me a great story. Give me engaging characters. Make them about issues that affect all of us and don't take a party position. And I'm going to be really excited because this is a comic that's designed to do the one thing all comics should speak to as much of the general public as possible by talking about the things that we can all relate to. And until you're doing that, and if you're not doing that, you're, you're playing party politics. And that's not something comics are supposed to be a part of. And I'd rather not include in my comic book reading exploits. Um, really, that's that's all that's left for me on this story you know it just feels like one of those things where hey it's going to happen on both sides everybody pay attention we respect these products and these properties for a reason and we're not going to stand for them being used no matter which your party what your platform or what your position is um and steve as you said while it's a gorgeous illustration that's wonder woman and that's yeah. who we need to be recognizing that person as. And when you start blurring the lines like that, you're not only doing a disservice to uh, the politician, but you're doing a disservice to the character. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, at the same time, when it comes to comics, it's not always about politics. Sometimes it's just about how to get your hands on something new and great. And what I love about this recent announcement about Mr. Miracle and Batman the White Knight is that you can get both of those as a hardcover edition. I was lucky enough that for uh, free comic book day, my wife picked up a softcover edition of the collected Mr. Miracle. But now that I've got it, I mean, is anyone out there going to tell me I shouldn't get the hardcover of this and Batman White Knight? Steve, you're not going to tell me <laughs> that, are you? Not at all, but I was actually glad now that I stayed my hand because I got the original single issues for both these great stories and i was toying with the idea of picking up the trades but i thought no i'm going to hold off a little bit longer dc seems to be doing special editions quite frequently now with with hardbacks and i am really glad because i'm gonna wear out my single issues and a hardback just lasts longer it's easier to pick up if you're sat in the garden with a cool drink in the summer to pick up a nice hardback book. You're not that afraid of it getting wrecked or bending the cover or anything else like that. Yes, that's how sad I am, folks, but I am <laughs> proud of it. Um, to get these lovely stories, and they are two of the best miniseries of the last few years, both these stories are fantastic. 
So I actually say to you, if you've picked up the trade paperback, if you want to have that as a reading copy and then have a beautiful bookshelf hardback edition, damn it, go out and buy it because I'm going to. With these two books, I'm definitely going to be picking up the hardcover editions as opposed to the trade paperbacks. Yes, it's a little bit more, but they're going to last longer. And uh, my poor, long-suffering wife, bless her soul, she's an <laughs> angel, um, is probably sick at looking at single-issue comics. They don't look nice on bookshelves, whereas these looking at the cover art and stuff they're going to look really nice on a bookshelf so yep i'm in i'm buying them and once again i'm poor Kelly, <laughs> what did you think that's i fully agree i'm actually i'm someone who has i believe it is three or four different versions of kingdom come because every time i've gone to the store and seen either a shinier hardcover copy or there's one I saw recently with a different cover that I picked up. <laughs> I've gotten two of the hard covers of Kingdom Come because I genuinely thought one was a little bit shinier. So I am going to have this too. But it's, you know, it's whatever. Rent is a small issue. I'm fine with just buying books. And it's hard covers, so you can actually build a house out of it if you try hard enough. So I'm absolutely picking these up. Who needs an apartment when you can build one out of comic books? Genius. <laughs> and who's going to complain when they're glittering because they're so new and shiny? I, I can't help but echo that. Um, and really, you know, when it comes to a hardcover, I mean, it's a hardcover. If you need to make any more argument than that, um, why are we talking? No. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did love that this was just right. part of a... Yeah, <laughs> I love that this was part of this great package of stories coming out about, you know, great books, great stories, and how another one that's included in this list of headlines is the announcement about Warren Ellis and how he's going to resurrect Wildcats, which was, as I heard once someone say back in the mid-90s, Wildcats was their new X-Men, and how that sort of like mm -hmm. really changed things for them regarding comic books and storytelling. Now we get a chance to see uh, a new telling of this classic comic book series that was part of that game-changing 90s uh, period. Steve, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. Talk to me about what this means for you regarding Warren Ellis, Wildcats coming back to comics, and everything you want to include with that. Well, I was actually around and reading comics when the original Wildcats series came out, and I may upset a lot of people here, but I will say, in this is my honest opinion, that those Image comics were the most poorly written comics in the history of the world, but damn, they looked good. And the art was fantastic. And this is the series that introduced the world and me to a lesser-known artist. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He never amounted to much. A guy called Jim Lee. So, to me, this is big news because I'm a huge Jim Lee fan. This is one artist, if you can pick up those old Wildcats, if you're extremely rich, you might be able to. And to see how much his art has grown and progressed from then till now. For me, the Wildcats were best when the original creators left and then they let people like Alan Moore have a go and uh, Neil Gaiman wrote an issue and uh, people like that and Alan Moore did his usual thing of everything you know about these characters is wrong forget it I'm just going to totally wipe all their history and make them interesting but the fact that when DC took over the Wildstorm 
part of uh, Image, and now I own that part of, of Image Comics. I don't know if anyone's been reading the brilliant The Wild Storm by Warren Ellis and uh, Brian Hill's fantastic Wildstorm Michael Cray miniseries, which are, yeah, so good. Uh, they're both due to end, and they're going to lead into this excellent new Wildcats miniseries. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited because DC have brought these characters that had an interesting idea. Angels and demons are actually what superpower creatures are fighting this eternal war. And now they're on Earth and they were the basis behind all the secret agencies and wars and everything else that's been going on in history. And they're coming back written by a fantastic writer with some great art. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this because I've enjoyed the new Wildstorm run. Really, really looking forward to reading this. What about you, Kelly? Do you know anything about those old Cats What is Wild? I'm going to be honest, I don't. But from what you're saying, I I mean, if it was that bad in the 90s writing-wise, then it can really only go up. So I, I think it's Correct. something I'll check out. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'll have to check it out. <laughs> now, Steve, I'm, I'm going to just echo you on saying, yes, I do remember that one of the things everyone talked about was how cool the art was and how the one thing no one ever talked about was how cool the stories were. Um, <laughs> they loved a lot of the concept. They loved a lot of uh, possibility. But taking those early 90s concepts and characters and giving them a new life, as you pointed out, through new eyes and new writers. <clears throat> the way that you had this sort of experience through Neil Gaiman and um, Alan Moore and how you had that sort of history to look back on now just shows you all the possibility that's available with these characters and that with a great first start, with this great new introduction, you can set them off on the right foot and do all the best things that we've seen others do with these characters and that Warren Ellis has shown us he has the the potential for, that he's got the chops and all he has to do is take these guys Ooh, yes. and give them their best start and then just follow through. Um, and I think what's interesting is that, you know, when we're talking about sort of giving things this new start, you know, it also keeps in mind the idea that when you're looking back, you can always do something a little bit different. And that makes a perfect segue into the announcement that the 1000 Detective Comics Deluxe Edition will actually feature a new story regarding anarchy and ventriloquist. And that this changes a little bit the uh, full complete edition of detective 1000 as it came out originally but that it's also part of this collection that's going to include all of the covers and so much more great stuff to look through uh what did you think about this announcement you know a new story being added to detective comics number 1000 steve i'm going to start with you for me detective comics 1000 is that very very rare thing it's one of those comics which i actually thought to be perfection because it brought together every era of batman not just cleverly in the eight different covers looking at the eight different decades that the batman appeared in but the the way they married classic batman writers with new batman artists and vice versa and to hear now that one of the great comics writers of today robert venditti who's doing amazing work on hawkman and on freedom fighters has got a new story but then like you said 
the legends that are Alan Grant and artist Scott McDaniel are giving us a brand new story featuring ventriloquist and anarchy in this new hardback collection. And they're collecting all the variant covers and everything that made the original Detective Comics 1000 great. Boy, again, I'm going to be intense and in every kind of camping gear available up a mountain with a flag, uh, carrying my rifle and stopping poachers and saying, get away from my comic book store. That book <laughs> is mine. Um, I am right there. As soon as I heard the word words Alan Grant, um, I was sold. And then hearing the other three names and all the other goodies that they can be slapped in a hardcover. Seth, it's a hardcover. Yes, I'm very, 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 very happy. Kelly, uh, <laughs> did you buy Detective One Comics 1000? If not, you will buy this one. I promise you, you will buy it. Buy it. Buy it now. That's, I haven't. So this is, and, and again, hardcover. Can add it to the house I'm going to need to build myself. So I, <laughs> I will definitely check it out. Especially if, um, I mean, to hear you say that it was perfection, that's tough for a comic to be. I mean, hope, I hope that when I do get it and read it, that it, lives up to that because that sounds like it is a really really good story and that this you i'll know, send you my spoiler free review kelly so you can have a look it's spoiler that's, free. i would love to see that i would absolutely but yeah no i am very excited to see exactly what this is and to get into it and i'm going to be curious to kind of get a chance to maybe come back around to this when the book is out we've all had a chance to look at it i know i bought detective comics number 1000 as the single issue i'm really intrigued now to see what this new story like uh from robert venditti and uh steven segovia and i think if you're gonna build your house kelly this is a great one to make part of that foundation so i'm gonna encourage you to get it Tell us all about it once you have, and we'll do a, a follow-up on this one. All of us talking about the uh, deluxe edition of Detective Comics number 1000 and just what it means when you can add a new story to an already perfect book. And that brings us to our final story for not only comic books, for this edition of DC Comics podcast. And that's going to be the announcement that Ra's al Ghul will be getting a six-issue DC miniseries that will be starting up very soon and that it's going to essentially be a great chance to sort of get into this character who i mean let's face it he's been such a part of batman mythos since uh those great neil adams stories and and now we get a chance to see that you know maybe he's working with batman maybe he's got his own plan which it seems he always does but we're going to get to see Ra's al Ghul in a six-issue miniseries. And that's not something we've had, I don't think, ever. Steve, pick up for me. Is This this is a first time, right? Can you think of any other time when Ra's was given a, uh, a miniseries of his own? It's mm, His daughter was. Um, we had Death and the Maidens when there was a time when Ra's al Ghul was believed dead and his daughter Nyssa took over as the new... Um, Demon's Head and, and led the League of Assassins but actual starring miniseries apart from the reprints of the original uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams which they reprinted as a little miniseries this is the first brand new Russell Gould story presented as a miniseries and the fact that they're also going to do a glorious special edition of the first two Russell Gould stories by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams to commemorate this new series as well has just got me 
smiling and smiling and smiling because another thing that I loved about Detective 1000, this is a beautiful marriage of stories here, is that Denny O'Neill wrote, wrote a story which uh, was a follow-up and a tribute to the first American comic I ever got my hands on and which gave me the transition between the Adam West Batman and the darker Batman, the child who lost his parents and became the Dark Knight detective and fought crime at night. Um, there's a direct sequel to that story in Detective 1000. And again, Neil Adams, the classic artist, teamed up with uh, Christopher Priest for a story in Detective 1000 as well. So to see Neil Adams come back to draw and write a brand new Russ Uncle story. I'm a kid again. Uh, there's nothing more I can say to that. It's this whole childlike aspect that it brings out in me to see Neil Adams' art, to me, still arguably the man who made Batman real, who drew perfect human anatomy. This wasn't a square-jawed, two-dimensional, four-colour comic book hero that fought crimes in zebra costumes or multicolored rainbow costumes. This was a figure of the night, a figure of terror whose cloak was a silhouette and he'd vanish into shadows and would beat any villain senseless. Um, to see him bringing back one of his greatest creations, Russell Gould, the villain who sometimes you actually want to root for because he isn't so much a villain and especially not in his own story in his own mind he's just trying to save the world the only way he knows how by getting rid of the vermin disease that is humanity the ones who are really destroying this planet so all of those elements just make me super excited and i'm going to pick up the reprints of his old stories even though i've got them and i'm going to pick up the new mini series too this this has got my name written all over it really looking forward to this one what, what about you kelly i mean you're far too young to remember denny <laughs> o'neill and in adam's batman but you must have seen some reprints or or know about the repercussions of them oh absolutely and i um i mean i love a mini series on the grounds that because the ending is planned the creators have the room to actually build the story that they want to create um so i i'm excited to see this and yeah, no, and it's, I don't think I have ever really focused on Ra's al Ghul's story because he hasn't really had anything that was, you know, specifically Ra's al Ghul centered. It's his story. This is, these six issues are him. It's not a Batman story. It's not about his daughter. So I'm really excited to see what they do. I have complete faith in it because they're, you know, already veterans of the industry. So I'm, I'm excited. I think it'll be good. Can't argue with that. Neither can I. And I'm also just going to add on that, you know, Steve, I thought if you brought up a great point, which is the idea of having the guy who created this character come back around to be the one to helm this miniseries. I think that's just such a brilliant yeah. idea. And that, you know, when you're doing it that way, you're allowing a, a creator to take a character that they were responsible for bringing to life and giving them the, the start that maybe wasn't possible at the time when they first introduced the character and now they can offer that start now and cast them in a light that introduces them in a new way to a new audience and through that also maybe present a challenge to the history of that character like kelly said this is someone who believes that they have an answer for saving the world even if it doesn't jive with what batman or other quote-unquote superheroes might think is the right way and um getting a chance to see 
his story told through his voice and his eyes is uh, is a gift for uh, fans of the comics, fans of uh, Mr. Adams, Mr. O'Neill. And um, I think this is a great point for us to wrap things up with because this has been a stellar addition for our silver DC Comics News podcast episode number 25. And I, I want to go ahead and just remind everybody who's out there that DC Comics News is available on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please head over and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube, whatever, at DC Comics News. And I also want to take a moment to say thank you to Steve and to Kelly and to give them both an opportunity to tell us where we can find them when they're not hanging out with us here on the DC Comics News podcast. Steve, if I could start with you, where else can the folks find you and look for you when you're not here chatting up with us? Thank you, Seth. Um, yes, I've been causing chaos all over the interwebs for many, many years. So the easiest way to catch up with all of that nonsense is just to do a Google search for Steve J. Ray. Of course, you can read my ramblings all over DC Comics News. And I'm also editor in chief on our sister site, which is the Batman centered Dark Knight News. And of course, follow me on the Twitterverse. Uh, where you can hear me chirping all day and all night about comic-related thingies, and that's L Steve. That's E L underscore S T E E V O. Kelly. Um, uh, you can check out my my nonsense on DC Comics news. Um, I do some op-ed pieces, and then as far as the actual social media world, I am on Twitter at. Kel Gaines, that's G-A-I-N-E-S, right, W-R-I-T-E, um, and that is pretty much it. And I've been your host, Seth Singleton. You can find me here for the DC Comics News podcast and also once a week hosting the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, where I pick my top five books as published by DC on a weekly basis. And that's going to go ahead and bring this silver edition to a close and I would be remiss not to leave you with that message that's always so important because we can do so many things, we can enjoy so many TV shows, and in the end, as always, we can... Read... More... Comics. Thanks for joining us, folks. Look yeah. forward to seeing you next time on the DC Comics News Podcast.